Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to Composite Two-Star Recruits. A USC recruiting podcast with a couple of one-star hosts, Chris 10K Trevino and Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Part of the USCfootball.com podcast family, the Cilantro Boys talk about everything from commitment breakdowns, game analysis, old recruiting stories, and of course, some unsubstantiated rumors. And now, here are your hosts, 18K and Gerald. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino. Did you miss us? We took a little bit of a mini break last week, took the week off, but we are back. Gerard, my podcasting partner in crime, how are you doing? Do you feel well-rested? I feel good. Uh, Not well-rested, but um, recruiting never sleeps, my friend. So we don't sleep. It is the dead period, so it sleeps a little bit. A little it, bit. It takes like a nap. It takes like a little nap, maybe like a cat nap, which is like, you know, if something if – some, if there was a noise to go on in your house, you would wake up immediately. Very, very light sleeper recruiting is. The way I look at it, it's more of a, maybe a cigarette break. Um, mm. It goes outside for a little bit to have a ciggy, uh, maybe a little vape here and there, and then uh, it's back, baby. <laughs> it's back, and it's ready to go, and it feels like it never really left. What about sleeping – with its eyes open, you know, people train themselves to sleep with their eyes open. What about that? Can we, can we call it that a little bit, a little nap with your eyes open? Like in the professional where yeah. he's sitting there and he's yeah. sitting up and he's got his eyes wide open and he's sleeping. Absolutely. Uh, maybe, maybe we could get away. Maybe we could compromise and, and we'll, okay. we'll say that. Great flick. Great flick. It's hard to say no to the professional, right? Yeah. Leon, you can't, can't go wrong with a classic, uh, Hitman story. I love a good Hitman story, but we're not here to talk about Hitman, Gerard. We're here to talk about recruiting. We did take the week off, as I mentioned, and this episode is going to deal with 
kind of fully turning the page on 2024. I feel like we already did that, but we're really starting to kind of preview the upcoming spring and obviously the big thing on this on the schedule, which is the summer, which means official visits. And we already have official visitors kind of, you know, those dates being set for kids all across the country. We've had some this week. We have a little bit of a running list. We're starting to build, but we're going to get into the the seeds seeds are are being being planted. The options are being cultivated. Yeah. Summer is a good way to see how you did in this, in the months leading up to this and even the years leading up to these for these 2025 prospects, you know, evaluating them. Some of these are new offer guys. Some of these are guys that have been USC has been recruiting for quite some times. We're going to see how well USC does in the summer and getting official visitors and also in the spring, getting guys back on campus, maybe that kind of pre-visit to get them to come back for an official visit and lock in official visits. So we're going to be talking about official visitors. We're going to be talking about the needs of the 2025 class. We're going to talk about your 10 of Troy, Gerard, your very highly anticipated piece that you do every kind of at this time, at this time, Gerard, you do it at this time around February as we move into the next cycle in the next class so it's all about 2025 today with a couple of notes sprinkled in and of course we have some listener questions before we get to all that obviously i have to shout out the official sponsor of the composite two-star recruits meredith schlosser you know her you love her top real estate agent in los angeles you can learn more about meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com s-c-h-l-o-s-s-e-r you can check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Check out all the listings and postings that she has going on. Gerard, we are back in business. We're going to start the show, our cold open, with sort of the recruiting dead period. We are currently in a recruiting dead period, and the dead period is going to end, I believe it's March. So just at the end of the month, we're going to be back in effect. Kids can go take visits again. Kids are already scheduling these unofficial visits for the spring. Spring practice is coming up for USC. It's going to start at the end, kind of the middle to the end of March. So they'll be having kids walking on campus, coming to practice, checking out the spring camp and all that. And as schools will be across the country as well. So USC, very important time coming up. But what did we learn, Gerard, as we have gone through December and January, which is a big evaluation period? We know USC had a very whirlwind experience in December, firing coaches, having to hire coaches, new defensive coordinator, new defensive staff, who was going to stay, who wasn't going to stay. It's all been finalized. And then those guys just hit the road. They've been recruiting, 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 going on the road all across the country, flying on private jets, handing out offers. There were two big official, not official, excuse me, unofficial visitor weekends. Back to back, obviously, we we described it as the Eric Henderson debut. He was kind of the star of each weekend of those kids and defensive linemen getting to meet him on campus. And then USC got some, you know, impressive visitors on cam- campus. California Power was in town. Obviously, they were able to capitalize on that and get them on campus. Some other big names, Jared Smith, he was on campus. So there were impressive names that made their way through USC Throughout this period of December and January and then early February before the period, the dead period started. So, Gerard, a lot of offers, a lot of, uh, you know, excitement around Eric Henderson and this new staff and the way kids are talking about it. 
But we're really going to see that come to fruition when we get into the spring, who they're going to get on back on campus, and then obviously for summer. So I think the December and that January period taught us a lot and maybe, you know, set stuff up for the next several months. Let's wake up the dead period, Chris. Do a little postmortem. Like you said, uh, the truth is recruiting never really sleeps and eyes open never really sleeps because sometimes even when it's a dead period, we got to look back to see everything that was going on, all the action in December and January. And there was a lot of action as Chris kind of talked about USC balancing, trying to hire some new coaches at the same time, getting on the road and you have this overlap for some coaches that are leaving from other schools. And then you have coaches like Eric Henderson, co-defensive coordinator, Eric Henderson. So USC really hiring two coordinators coming from the NFL and having to take his test, uh, you know, the recruiting ethics test and the um, bylaws test, and then uh, getting used to that travel and going and actually being involved in the recruiting process. So it was a quick turnaround for that defensive staff. And it was also something that Lincoln Riley had to balance because he himself was on the road. And that's one thing that mm-hmm. we learned from that period, which is technically known as the January evaluation period. It's never been a huge period for head coaches uh, so much as it is with assistant coaches, just trying to get your foot in the door, get a feel for the next class coming up, trying to probably at the very most get some unofficial visitors on campus for spring football. But this past cycle, uh, or you could say the almost pre-cycle to 2025 in January, coaches are now allowed to meet with recruits. And we saw Lincoln Riley taking photos with recruits, which you don't see that uh, outside of home visits during the end of the year for the signing class. So that's some of the rule changes that we've seen where the NCAA is allowing these coaches to get ahead of the cycle. And I would say USC was well ahead of a lot of other schools in the cycle from that standpoint. I mean, we saw Lincoln Riley taking a bunch of pictures with recruits and I'm going, uh, wait, is that legal? Like that wasn't something that we saw before uh, at high schools. And so, you know, trying to brush up on the new compliance and some of the new rules that have gone through. And I think there was probably several colleges that were doing the same thing because you didn't see for a couple of weeks, a bunch of head coaches taking pictures with recruits uh, when Lincoln Riley was doing it. So uh, that was very interesting. And we see what's come of that. Um, You have an instance where, you know, in in particular, Justice Terry, five-star defensive tackle, the number two ranked defensive tackle in the nation, uh, according to some, the number one ranked defensive tackle in the nation from Georgia, having meeting with Eric Henderson down at his high school. And his dad also spoke with Eric Henderson. And coming from that meeting, Eric Henderson uh, talking about his philosophy, talking about, you know, what he wants to see in his players and you know, what he wants to be able to do for his players and getting into some details in terms of his approach to coaching and doing enough to sell Justice Terry and his father on taking an official visit to USC. So already sort of penciling himself in as a guy that wants to come to USC officially. So from the standpoint of, you know, planting those seeds, getting some options, one of the big things we saw from that period was USC 
is going and has already had a lot of interior defensive linemen from the Southeast specifically already on campus. And that's huge because we always talk about these out-of-state visits, particularly with really high-rated recruits. you got to get some traction visits before you're going to be in a position to seriously land and close a recruit. And in previous cycles, it's really been official visits if they get official visits from some of these players. And we've talked about it before. There's only been a couple guys really in the last two cycles that were really interior defensive linemen, top-rated interior defensive linemen who even came to officially visit. So your margin of error is incredibly small when you only have a couple guys that are officially visiting. You know, guys like Edric Houston from Georgia and, um, you know, Edric Houston, uh, who is from Missouri. And in those two cycles, I mean, those were really the only five-star top-rated defensive tackles that were on campus for official visits. If you don't land them, you don't land anybody who's a top-rated defensive lineman. That's changing. I mean, that is going to change. And listen, there's a lot of time between now and June, but I feel pretty confident in saying, at least from the standpoint of having multiple options on campus for official visits, USC's just giving themselves a a greater margin of error. Like, okay, we don't land our first two, three guys. Okay, cool. But we've got seven or eight guys that are going to be on campus officially, and we like all of them. Now, we're going to shoot for the stars, and we're going to try to get Justice Terry, but he's already committed to Georgia. So we're not necessarily going to put all our eggs in that basket. You've heard that saying before on this podcast in terms of the way USC is recruited strategy-wise at multiple positions. So this is now a situation where on the defensive line, the specifically interior defensive line, which is hard to recruit in the West Coast. You don't have a lot of these four-star, five-star guys on the West Coast. USC has definitely got their foot in the door already with a bunch of these players. We're going to see if they get some follow-up unofficial visits during the spring. That will be big for some of these guys. And we'll talk about this uh, as we go on in the podcast. We've sort of got a bit of a entry that will go through the guys that are at this point saying they want to take official visits to USC players we project will probably get an official visit from USC and then those players that need to get back on campus during the spring to really make that official visit happen so it's going to be interesting but we're starting to see the constructs of what the 2025 class will look like for USC and not necessarily who they're going to have committed. It's not a projection of, hey, here's what the class is going to look like. If we're in February and we've still got a year ahead of us, that would be silly. We know that uh, too much can change in recruiting to be able to do that. But the storylines of the 2025 class, just the underlying, this is the group. You can kind of start to see their top tier players and then maybe the second tier players, but already some of maybe the, the the plan C's. And certainly when we get on the other side of April, May, and we see what happens with NIL and USC strategy, the NCAA's opining of regulations and how NIL should be interpreted from a bylaw standpoint, all of that, we get on the other side of that, we get into June, we really see the rubber hitting the road and what the class is going to start to look like. But even now, We still, from a, this is the story of the 2025 recruiting class, it's already being written. And that's kind of what I feel like we gained from that December 
January period. I mean, USC offered 30 plus prospects in the 2025 class during that period. That's a evaluation period with a dead period right smack in the middle of it. So you have that early December period, and then that's really mostly in-home visits. And and sometimes coaches will kill two birds with one stone and they have an in-home visit and it's somewhere, let's say it's McKinley, Texas, Brian Jackson. Okay, cool. Well, there's other players at McKinley, Texas high school that we can go see and we might be able to recruit a little bit. So you're kind of overlapping the 2024 class with the 2025 class, but you had 30 plus offers go out in a period which is roughly a month. That's that's a lot. You know, that's like more the offer a day, basically. So a lot of scholarship offers going out, about 15 of those scholarship offers being to linemen. So roughly half being to offensive defensive linemen. Uh, USC had about a dozen prospects offered in the 2026 class. So a very active couple months for USC uh, from a football standpoint, just in terms of building the staff, but then also from a recruiting standpoint, trying to get back on track, trying to get back from that eight and five season, getting back to double digit wins and certainly revamping the defense, not just from a narrative standpoint, but from an action standpoint, getting guys in that uh, are are really resume heavy, very experienced, high level coaches at each level of the defense. You know, DeAnson Lynn all the way down where you, you know, couple him with Doug Belk, who's got a great reputation uh, throughout the SEC and in Texas as a coach. A lot of big time programs were after him. Going down and getting Matt Ince as a head coach in a dynasty program at North Dakota State to be your linebackers coach, uh, and then getting Eric Henderson again, co-coordinator, defensive line coach. Very interesting that dynamic, how it's going to work with him and DeAnton Lynn. I mean, I do think that's always the best combination having someone within the trenches, having an Ed Ergeron type of player, uh, excuse me, coach who has a ability to make some decisions, you know, that, that that has a voice at the table in terms of this is what we need to do. And really not even just with game install, but also on the fly during the game, making adjustments, you know, Pete Carroll and Ed Erdron working together. Pete was a defensive backs coach. He was a safeties coach in the NFL as a defensive coordinator. He's watching a little more of the entirety of things where Ed Erdron is looking at that defensive front, particularly the defensive line. And Ed Erdron says, we need to make an adjustment coach. We need to go to one over instead of an under, we need to do this. We need to gap stunt here. That's being heard. And those adjustments are being made. And I think that's going to be a dynamic there. We're going to see with Eric Henderson watching the defensive line, seeing what's happening up there and then having the Lynn being able to kind of see the overall picture and uh, what's happening with the defense. So great dynamic there. And I like the dynamic still with the offense, with Lincoln Riley being a quarterback's coach, being more of a skill guy, skill oriented, and then having Josh Hen- uh, Henson as the offensive line coach and the offensive coordinator of the offense, watching the offensive front and seeing what's happening with the offensive line. Hey, we need to slide our protection. Hey, we, we're getting beat one-on-one with this guy. We need to double team this guy. Those are very important things. And I think that you know you open that up a little bit with the way this coaching staff is constructed. So that was something that had to be built during this period. And we saw that sort of develop. And I know we're approaching the point where we talk about these official visitors, but to confirm, we know that kids can now take an unlimited amount of visits to schools, but schools are still capped at how many official visitors they can host, correct? 
Yes, correct. Yeah, they get, I think the last number was like 55, 56 a, a cycle, and that includes transfers as well. So, and the transfer portal and the transfers, that's always sort of that unknown. Uh, you have players that jump in the portal that you didn't anticipate were going to jump in the portal. I mean, we'll talk about one of those guys, maybe even in the podcast, SMU's Marcus Bryant as a grad transfer, offensive tackle, uh, an all-conference type player. You don't see that coming necessarily if you're in December or January. So that's gotta always something that's, gotta keep a couple spots open. You never yeah, know. You gotta keep a couple in your back pocket because you just don't know when a truly impactful player for your team in the next year might end up in the portal. And that kind of can segue us into our final point about the cult open before we jump into these official visitors. I know everyone's excited to hear about official visitors, but when we look as we move towards the 2025 class and kind of, I don't want to say compare it to the 2024 class, but kind of put them side by side and see now that the 2024 class is essentially done, there will be a couple more transfers that are coming and they have a handful of spots still left. But Lincoln Riley mentioned it in his press conference in last week where they introduced the defensive staff is where they are moving towards less reliance on the transfer portal and they're fully moving into that next chapter from you know when they first got here where they had to rely on the transfer portal to build 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 a roster and a depth chart you know just by plucking kids from around the country through the portal now they can start really focusing and really hammering development and looking at these high school kids and bringing in full high school classes where we've seen it with the offensive line with back-to-back five-man offensive line classes. They're trying to do that across the board and keep replenishing with high school kids. They don't want to do these super heavy transfer classes anymore. They want to be super heavy high school with some uh, compliments through the transfer portal to if you have a talented defensive lineman or a talented linebacker or as you said, an all all conference caliber offensive tackle that jumps in the portal. You want to supplement what you've been building through the high school through the high school ranks. So I think the next couple of classes we're going to see that really take into effect, where they're going less on the transfers and more in on projecting and evaluating high school kids and bringing in you know full classes of uh, prep kids. Still double digit transfers, however, and the second portal window in April, May is going to be coming up. And we can't forget that second window has had some pretty good players in it. Jordan Addison, Bear Alexander, Eric Eric Gentry. Gentry. So we could still see USC up around, you know, 13, 14, maybe even 15 transfers, which is still pretty transfer heavy. Certainly, out of the first portal window, USC was not as aggressive, and they didn't get as many guys on campus. And it's hard to know whether it was aggression or it was just luck. They didn't actually have much luck getting certain players like a Silas Bolden on campus for an official visit. They just got beat out by for a few players. So that's hard to project right now where they are in terms of is this really just strategy or is it just sort of how things played out and they didn't want to reach for more players? I could say one thing. They definitely, with the 2024 recruiting class, projected more players than they have in the previous classes. It seemed like they really wanted to take more proven commodities out of high school 
And then anybody that they were not real sure about, they'd say, okay, we're going to supplement that with the transfer portal. Didn't really see that as much this year. Um, now, I think it changes from position to position because the wide receiver position is one that you can look at. And USC sets out in the 2024 class to sign three wide receivers. And there was even talk like, okay, what happens if Mike Matthews out of uh, Parkview High School in Littleburn, Georgia, decides that he wants to commit? Are you going to tell Ryan Pelham to kick rocks? Or do you take four wide receivers in the class? That's where we were at in June, because at that point in time, you had Xavier Jordan out of Sarah High School, four-star wide receiver, already committed. You had the feeling uh, behind closed doors that Draylon Miller was potentially going to commit to USC, and he was you know, at the top of the list for USC. And then you had Mike Matthews, who seemed like, okay, that that's that's a battle for USC. There's potential there, but probably on the outside looking in. But you never know with an official visit. Maybe it just wows them. Comes from an AAU background, so families used to traveling. So there was a little bit of feeling like, you know, USC's got a chance here. And then you had Ryan Pelham, who, you know, behind closed doors was kind of like looking at depth charts and everything. And uh, you could feel like was serious about USC. And USC had made a big move for him. Uh, over the course of the spring. And USC ends up signing one of those players. He, they signed Xavier Jordan, and that's it. And they made a move for a couple other wide receivers in the class, but nothing really came to fruition. So you think automatically, all right, well, they're going to have to supplement through the transfer portal. They only got one wide receiver in the transfer portal, Jaden uh, Richardson from Tufts University. And so that's still a question, okay, there might be a guy like a Jordan Addison that jumps in to the portal uh, for the second window, and then, you know, you, you're going to go after him. I, I think USC definitely still wants to sign more wide receivers, at least one more wide receiver out of the transfer portal, because they lost a bunch of guys uh, in that junior class at wide receiver two transfers. So they do have a little bit of a depth issue when you're talking about a team that does like to spread it out as much as USC, and they do like to rotate quite a bit. So that's a position where they didn't really reach in either direction. They didn't really reach really with transfers so much, and they didn't reach out of the high school ranks too much either because you think they would have probably been able to get somebody uh, if they really you know pressed and, and went after some three-star wide receiver, whether it be locally or even in Texas, and they didn't really do that. But the offensive line has been a position which, interestingly enough, if you look at it, in the 2024 class and even in the 2023 class to a certain extent, they are projecting more. They are going after players like Kelolo, uh, Taga. Um, in the previous class, they went after Tobias Raymond. These are players that are guys that need development. They're projects. you got to bring them in and you got to work on them. They first and foremost got to gain the weight. And we've seen that with Tobias Raymond. He's been able to put on the weight onto his frame. I do think to some extent, Josh Henson and Lincoln Riley looked at the development from that 2023 freshman class, Elijah um, Page, uh, Amos Talalele, uh, Alani Noah, uh, Michael Benuelos, and got a sense for, okay, so this is what we can do with this here. This this is sort of a, a mix of some guys that are top-rated guys, and then some other guys that were kind of under the radar. And this is what we were able to get out of them. And I do feel like to some extent it did build some confidence in development. 
development of West Coast players and development in general. And so with the 2024 class, USC going after late, Justin Taunahu and uh, Kelolo Taaga, I mean, I think they just saw those guys as, hey, you know what, we know what we can do with a Tobias Raymond. So that gives us more confidence looking at these players. We're going to go and we're going to take five guys. Now, certainly the thing that you always have to keep in the back of your mind, we can sit here and talk about needs and we can talk about numbers until we're blue in the face during the summer. But when you get transfers out and you're not anticipating some of these guys leaving the program, you got to hurry up and scramble and bring in some numbers too. So maybe that changed it to some extent, but I do. And I, and I feel this way because I've kind of been told this to a certain extent that there is more confidence in development uh, along the offensive line than there has been in the past. And maybe at certain other positions as well. Linebacker is another position, which particularly with the 2024 class more than the 2023 class, USC brings in a couple kids that don't play the position as they're projected to play the position at USC. Jaden Walker plays the line of scrimmage. He's a stand-up defensive end. He's going to probably move back and play more of a linebacker position. Desmond Stevens, he played cornerback, moved over to safety because he kind of outgrew cornerback. Now he's 6'4 and a half, 225 pounds, and he's going to be moving up and playing an inside linebacker position probably if he doesn't grow out of that and actually end up being a hybrid head rusher. So these are guys that, again, you're projecting – what they're going to be in college. And it just seems like there's a little bit more confidence that that can be done through coaching. And you don't necessarily have to go after the ready-made 6'2", 235-pound Mike linebacker. You can go after the guy that's the athlete and you can develop him for that position. So that's something else that we've sort of learned from that period of that December, January, looking at the recruiting class that they actually signed for 2024, and then looking and seeing how they hit the road, where their focus was aggressively. Certainly with the 2025 class, they recruited the hell out of Georgia. I think they have every coach on the, the staff probably hit Georgia. Uh, they, they started in Florida. It really not quite as active in Texas as they have been. That was kind of surprising and somewhat active out here, but still, again, a little bit of question mark, like, you know, how invested is USC in recruiting the modern days, the St. John Boscos, et cetera, you know, and, and not a lot of talk of them in Arizona and Nevada either. So that's a bit of a storyline that's still there that carries over from the 2024 class in terms of, you know, how much are they recruiting locally as opposed to how much are they recruiting nationally? And can you really build a powerhouse program overlooking modern day St. John Bosco and Bishop Gorman. It's hard to fathom that. It's hard for me to think that they will continue to not land any of those players from those schools. And that's not what I'm predicting. I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking, if you're not getting guys from those programs, and I know the argument is always, well, who out of modern day has gone to NFL and done anything and blah, blah, blah. And that's always the kind of copium that comes along with missing out on all those players. But, you know, Matt Leiner didn't really do a whole lot in the NFL, but he was a pretty good player from modern day. Matt Grudigan didn't do much in the NFL, but he was a pretty good player from modern day for USC. All you care about as a Trojan fan is what are these guys going to do for USC? How are they going to contribute at USC? And so, yeah, I think that that's still something that is a work in progress and we'll see how many of those kids make it to campus during the spring you know, they may get a bunch of those guys that come through for spring ball and all of a sudden, you know, that narrative is basically squashed. So that's a little bit of a still 
okay, that hasn't really changed. You know, we, we, we didn't see the big recruiting weekend of Bosco and uh, modern day players that we saw in 2023. You know, it was more, they brought in a bunch of kids from uh, Trillion Boys, who's a traveling squad that has kind of a hodgepodge of guys from Texas, guys from California, a couple guys here and there from the South. And then there was the follow-up weekend with the junior day, the, the, the official junior day, which was more a local regional type of weekend, smaller. And then you had that follow-up weekend, which we predicted was going to be a bigger weekend than the actual junior day, which is when they got the California power kids in, they get five-star edge rusher uh, out of uh, Alabaster, Alabama, Jared Smith coming to uh, visit USC. And then they get the Texas defensive end uh, outside linebacker, Chad Wolford, who comes in uh, unofficially was on campus as well. And so, yeah, it was one of those things where that ended up being kind of a bigger weekend than the junior day, but a traction weekend for a lot of players uh, from those California power teams, the guys that were coming in out of state on the lines, which again, some of that, you're going to need to have some follow-ups visits maybe to, to really be able to get your, to get your footing and, and be a uh, more than a dark horse in those recruitments, uh, but nevertheless, still further ahead of the game than they were last year. All right, Gerard, let's, get into summer official visitors. Now we're going to have these sort of broken up into three uh, categories, excuse me. As you know, we love to do categories when we're talking about official visitors and you'll come to know those when we actually get into the real visitors come summer. But here we are, we have three categories, which is, you know, the people that have, or the prospects that have more or less confirm that they're taking official visitor uh, official visits to USC, whether that is a date that's been locked in or they've given a positive affirmation that they are going to take an official visit to USC. Now, that's not guaranteed, but they are in this category because we feel pretty good about them ending up on an official visit. Then we have some projected official visitors, guys we feel pretty good about. They haven't you know, confirmed any which way. We feel pretty good about them. Then we have some, you know, maybe not out of the box, but some guys on the outside, you know, that USC we feel is in a decent shot to get them on campus for an official visit. It would help if they are coming in the spring. And, and some of these guys will be there in the spring and see if USC can parlay that into a summer official visit. So that's our third category. We're going to kind of go through these groups. We're not going to spend three hours on them, but Gerard, I think we can break each individual group group up by some individual positions. Does that sound good to you? That sounds good to me. Although I don't know that we can't talk three hours about it. Is that a challenge or is that just um, a time limit? That is not a time limit because I think someone specifically asked for me to let you cook. I'm just saying we don't need to do three hours on this one subject right here, even though I know you could Gerard, I know you could, but it's time to talk about the prospects. AIDA, get out there. You got the prospects coming in. You think they came in to get out of the rain? That clip is going to get a lot of rotation this summer. But let's talk about the guys who are feel pretty good about them coming on campus this summer. We're going to start with the skill guys, and that is obviously led by quarterback Juju Lewis out of uh, Georgia. Obviously, the the only commit USC has in 2025, but it's a pretty big commitment. And it seems like, Gerard, you can comment on this if you want after, but it feels like, you know, Juju took a bunch of visits to other schools over that uh, that period, that winter period. 
and sets him up for the spring. But it feels like he is transitioning now into being all in and focused on USC. He's planning to come to USC multiple times during the spring, and then he will be taking his official visit in the summer. And I would bet my life that his visit is going to correspond with the big golden hour, the big, big official visitor weekend in the summer. And you can bet all the the prime Georgia guys are going to be on one visit for whatever that may be. So Juju Lewis is going to have a lot of recruiting to do over the summer and in the spring. But he's part of this list. Uh, running back Marquise Davis, a talented four-star running back out of Ohio. Raiden Vines Bright, the wide receiver that goes to IMG, but by way of Arizona. That actually came out today. That was a Blair flair from our friend Blair Angula, who, you know, uh, wrote and broke the news and put that scoop out that Raiden will be taking his official visit in May. Wide receiver Andrew Marsh, who has been to USC several times, really likes USC, a top 100 prospect in 2025 out of Texas. Like I said, really likes USC. USC very much in position. He is planning to come back in the spring. So a good unofficial visit in on tap for spring to set him up for, uh, excuse me, for the summer for his official visit. And then wide receiver Corey Sims, a recent USC offeree during that January evaluation period, took his unofficial uh, recently, caught up with him after that, part of California Power when they were in town. Corey Sims told me that he's probably going to take a USC official visit, so we're going to put him in this category. Those are the skill guys we have right now, uh, Gerard. Anything to say about those those young or those young those prospects? <laughs> I would I say that, that uh, what we need is uh, you know speaking of the professional, we need that clip of uh, the uh, the cop, uh, the the head detective, the corrupt detective when. Uh, they're calling for backup, and he says, "Well, well, who who should who should we call? Who are we bringing in?" And he yells, "Everyone!" That that would Everyone? be good. That would be oh, that, that. oh yes, it's it's a, it's a very well used uh, GIF on yes. the board exactly. when who's visiting everyone. I'm blanking on that actor's name. Yeah, it's a I famous am actor. I'm, I don't really keep up with too I'm many gonna, of the names of actors. You you go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it up. Recruits. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that would be great for the hype train. You know, everybody wants to wants to wants to hear Gary that. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Oldman. There we go. Yeah, Yeah, I'll I'll work on getting that. I'll work on adding that for uh, this uh, this coming (laughs) summer for season three, if you will. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, Juju Lewis, as Chris talked about, took a bunch of unofficial visits uh, during that December, January period and didn't make it to the USC Junior Day. A lot of vibe that uh, Georgia had made inroads with him and that there were some several schools that were basically eroding his solid verbal commitment to USC. He didn't decommit, but there's clearly uh, a lot of schools that are in his ear and he's listening. And so that's sort of where it stands. You would probably classify him as a soft verbal commitment. And um, that will all come to a head uh, during the summer. You know, that's where it's going to be um, basically decided uh, for him and his family. As Chris said, the golden hour would be where we would probably pencil him in, which is going to be mid-June, June 16th, is usually uh, that uh, Thursday, Friday, when that weekend um, falls. But at the same time, there's always the potential strategically that maybe USC wants to make the first June uh, week their big week. You know, they could change it. Uh, They haven't the last two cycles, though. So you think that that's sort of – 
you know, they want to make that an annual thing, you know, at that time of the year. And they sort of circle that like that's going to be our time, you know, because other schools, they do make that push to have kids on campus last. And they want kids uh, to be there for the last week of June. USC actually the last two cycles with Lincoln Riley has not had a bunch of official visitors during the last week of June. In fact, they really have only had a couple. And catch all. Yeah, sort of that catch-all weekend, which ends up kind of getting weeded out and ends up being just like a player or two that end up on campus. And, I mean, strategically, I understand you want that buffer uh, of a a week to kind of know where things are at. And you're, you know, right up against the dead period, which comes in July when a lot of kids are making their decisions. Uh, But other schools are like, we just want to be the last school in their ear. And so – you know, last cycle, the first week of June looked like it was going to be huge for USC. And it looked like, hey, man, you want to get these kids on campus first. Like, you might be able to shut down the recruitments. Uh, Manasseh Atete, um, Dakota Fields. There were several players that took official visits. And then they turned around and said, no, I'm shutting down the process. I'm committed to USC. So then the thinking there is, wow, you really want to make the first week of June. Uh, maybe even May is would be uh, the best time to bring kids in. Uh, so, they, they, you know, there's always that argument for different things. The way it played out, uh, they didn't necessarily, you know, hit it out of the park with any of those weekends, really. Um, but the Golden Hour was still probably the most successful of the group. Granted, it's also supplemented by guys that are already committed. So we're going to see, you know, how that shapes out. But I could see Golden Hour definitely being the weekend that they bring in Juju Lewis. It's uh, going to be the weekend where they either have a yacht party or you know, they've got the luau at uh, Lincoln Riley's house or there's going to be something new. Maybe they can use SpaceX to go up and, uh, you know, go to space and then bring the kids back down. I don't know. It could be uh, anything (laughs) at this point. Um, You know, Marquise Davis, interesting uh, in terms of, you know, Ohio State's obviously the team to beat there, but speaks uh, very highly of USC. And uh, that's one of the schools that like early, early on, he said, you know, I want to take that official visit to USC. Um, Andrew Marsh, like you said, already been to USC a couple of times now. And so he's a trillion boy. He's a guy that, um, you know, he could end up being the Draymond Miller of, of this class for USC. He could be one of those guys that talks the talk very high on USC until push comes to shove. And then, you know, NIL becomes a, a question mark and we get into the summer and things start to change. And, and that could end up being a Texas A&M-USC battle again. Uh, it's a little early to say LSU is involved a little bit. Oklahoma's in there. There's a bunch of schools involved with him. But USC's definitely made a good impression very early with him. Um, I, I would say, you know, it, it's interesting because you don't have a ton of options right now at the skill positions offensively, which is interesting. It does seem, it does feel, uh, for whatever reason, that uh, the line position, particularly defensive line with Eric Henderson, you know, I mean, in terms of, you know, again, there's a little bit of hype here. It's a little bit of like what's going to happen rather than what's has already happened. Uh, but in terms of options, like that's where the visitors and the kids that have been most overt about their interest in USC, those are the positions that are it's coming from, you know, it's coming from the edge guys. It's coming from the interior defensive linemen. And there's just a long list of those players on uh, the official visitor list and then the unsubstantiated official visitor list. Are you moving into defensive linemen? Because I feel like you're 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 alleying it. You're, you're alley-ooping it. Segway for, into the defensive line. For the beef 
for the beef, as you mentioned earlier in the cold open, you know, USC did not or has not gotten a ton of defensive linemen on campus for official visitors. It looks like that trend is going to change in 2025 because of the Eric Henderson effect, the Henny effect. Uh, we've talked a little, a lot about it over over the course of January and these kids, and you know there is a lot of momentum behind Eric Henderson and his recruitment efforts in getting not just defensive linemen on campus, but elite defensive linemen on campus. So the four that we have listed right here are defensive tackle Brandon Brown, you know, out the Texas commit out of Florida, defensive tackle Justice Terry, who you've already mentioned in the cold open, the Georgia commit five-star defensive lineman, number three defensive lineman in our 24-7 sports rankings, Uh, defensive tackle Elijah Griffin, Another guy out of the South, the Georgia region, he is a, a big-time defensive lineman, also five-star caliber. And then defensive end, Jared Smith out of Alabama, uh, more of an edge rusher than interior defensive lineman, who took an unofficial visit over the uh, that January period. And he was not pal- part of California power, power. He was not – it wasn't a uh, an opportunistic – visit for California for USC to jump on California power. He came out on, on his own volition. Basically he was not in town for anything. He came out specifically to see USC, which is a really, really good sign for the Trojans. He's talking about taking an official visit. He will take an official visit as of right now. So right there, those are some elite elite level defensive linemen that are scheduled to be on campus, Gerard. Yeah, and that's you know huge uh, in terms of again literally, whether it literally and metaphorically metaphorically whether it happens or not again there is quite a bit of time between now and the summer but the, these kids are pretty upfront about it and they really could leave it open ended and say hey that's a school that I'm interested in um, you know we're gonna see I haven't narrowed my decision down yet so on and so forth. But certainly in terms of first impressions, I mean, these kids have come away from their conversations with Eric Henderson saying, yeah, USC is a school that I want to see. And and as stated, uh, Jared Smith comes out here on his own dime, wasn't piggybacking on an event weekend to be out in Los Angeles and, you know, took that unofficial visit to USC along with Chad Woodford, who is a guy that it's just still kind of remains to be seen he, he really doesn't make any of these lists because it's just we I have not talking uh, spoken to him personally and haven't gotten the vibe as to where USC really sits with him right now but there's potential that he could be a guy that comes back out for an official visit um so yeah when they players come out on their own volition uh, and, and you know there's always the potential you know there's Nil and there's things you know with with certain visits and Again, piggybacking with events is is usually the way that you can come out to these schools. And there has to be sort of a uh, ability for the fan base to differentiate between somebody coming out on their own and doing it specifically focused with their family and there being an event in town. And there's kids that just happen to say, oh, yeah, well, what am I going to do all day? I'll go out to UCLA and go to USC. I, I mean, you know. With Brandon Brown um, and several other defensive linemen that made it to campus, uh, they were out here. They visited UCLA as well as USC, and I asked them about both schools. And so it was one of those things where they did piggyback, 
and were able to take that unofficial visit because they were in the area already. But none of those guys were talking about officially visiting UCLA. So USC still made a good impression. And that's the whole thing. I mean, you have to, as a staff, make the most out of your time in front of these recruits. You have to sell. You have to get them to want to be back on campus. And the more you have them on campus, the more you have them around your football staff, the more you have them around your players and just the student body in general, the more comfortable they become with that idea, particularly if they're leaving home to do it. You know, and that's the, the comfortability, which is not really a word technically, but it's used a lot by recruits, the comfort level that they have around their surroundings and with the people that are at the college. And so um, that's a big deal. And having that list, I mean, just say it again, Brandon Brown, I think he's a nose tackle. He came in, we, we spoke to them on uh, Saturday before they actually took their unofficial visit to USC when they were in the pylon tournament for California Power. And I'd spoken to Myron Charles. I spoke to uh, Brandon Brown. I spoke to just several of those guys and just, you know, trying to get a little bit of a pre-interview and, and, and chat them up a little bit, um, get a feel for what they're looking for objective wise in USC being out here. And I'd spoken to several of them actually previously when they were in Los Angeles for the Super 7 five-on-five five tournament. So there was a five-on-five five tournament and a seven-on-seven seven tournament about two weeks prior, but it was during the recruiting dead period and they could not unofficially visit USC. They couldn't get to campus. So that was the first time they were going to be able to get to campus. So I asked Brandon Brown, you know, what are you looking for with USC? What do you know about USC going into this unofficial visit before you step foot on campus? And he said, I don't know anything about USC. To be honest with you, I, I don't really know. I was like, okay, so what do you want to learn? I don't know. I'm going to find out. He really was sort of flipping about just he didn't have interest in USC, like flat out. He really didn't have interest in USC. And so I was somewhat surprised when I asked him about the visit after the trip and said, so where does USC sit in the grand scheme of things for you? They're going to be one of the schools that I officially visit. Yeah, they're going to get an official visit for sure. Well, oh, really? I was surprised by it. And, and, and I talked to several others and some guys were less committal about actually taking an official visit, um, but not Brandon Brown. And he's already committed to Texas. Uh, he's out of Melbourne, Florida. So he's not necessarily, you know, a Texas guy through and through and just down the street in Austin. Um, so, you know, he committed to Texas when Bo Davis was the defensive line coach and Bo Davis has sub subsequently left and gone to LSU. So that was a little bit of an okie doke. You know, he committed, I think it was in December. And then, you know, Bo Davis, it was like, I don't know, a week later, two weeks later or something, ends up taking the job at LSU. And so, you know, he said, quote unquote, that opened my eyes up to other schools. And so my eyes are open to everything that I'm seeing. And uh, definitely he's open to, you know, potentially uh, decommitting from Texas and going to another school. And so USC has been one of the first schools that have really presented themselves and as I said, I look at him, you know, he says he could play anywhere on the defensive line. He's talked to Eric Henderson and Eric Henderson has talked about that. I see him having seen him at these last two events perform uh, more of as a nose tackle type guy. You know, he's a little more sawed off. He's about six foot, six one, 285, 290. He's quick. He beats you with your, with his first move and he's in the offensive backfield. But if he doesn't beat you with his first move, uh, he doesn't necessarily have a great second move. And so that's interesting. Um, and of course, at these tournaments, you're not seeing any kind of run stopping. You know, there's no run gap, 
defense here. So it's all pass rush and it's all spin moves and it's all ice picks and rip moves, etc. cetera. Um, but he did uh, have a nice uh, few moves and you can check those out for free. Uh, if you go into any of the player profiles of oh, the California great. power players, um, check them out. We did ISO film on all of these guys and uh, multiple reps from multiple angles. And uh, you get to see them uh, in action. And so, yeah, Brandon Brown to me looks like the nose tackle of that group. Uh, Justice Terry plays kind of all over the line. He's a bit more athletic and can get away with that. He's a little taller, a little more lanky, but you know, we don't really get to see him in person. So it's basically just watching huddle film. And he plays for Manchester High School in Georgia. It's, I think it's 1A. So his competition level is very low. And so that's the biggest question about him is, you know, how much can he do against better players? He did perform very well at the Under Armour uh, 50, uh, which is kind of a, an event for the underclassmen. And he was pretty dominant there. Uh, a lot of people felt like he was the best player there uh, on the line. And so that's, I think, where a lot of uh, his rating comes from. It, it's potential. You know, it's not necessarily production against great uh, high school talent. It's just, you know, looking at the frame and looking what he does athletically and certainly what he did at that camp. Elijah Griffin, another guy out of Savannah, Georgia, five, five-star level guy that had that meeting with uh, Eric Henderson and came away saying, yeah, I, I, I think Coach Henny's a guy that I'd love to play for. He has to get on campus. He's not been on campus yet. And so that's one of those things where some of these guys are going to weed themselves out. Okay. So, you know, some of these guys are going to commit before they ever get to take an official visit. And we've seen it before. I mean, look at Elijah Page, the offensive tackle at USC, freshman, uh, played well in the bowl game. He was a guy that we were talking about. Uh, he was a closer, Chris. He was in that closer category as we mm -hmm. got into May and we started previewing, okay, who's going to be on campus for their official visits. He was supposed to be on campus. I think he was supposed to be in the first week of June. He wasn't a golden hour guy. He ends up taking an official visit to Notre Dame and he shut down. He shut it down and stopped talking to USC until you got into the season. Notre Dame started out really bad. USC kept recruiting him and he ends up on campus for an official visit that he didn't take during the summer uh, for, I think it was like the Arizona state game or what have you. And then he ends up, you know, committing to USC a couple weeks later. So, you know, it can happen that way as well. Sometimes guys just never make it to campus and they go and they commit elsewhere. So we'll see what all happens. I mean, Georgia is the lead school, certainly for Terry, because he's committed there. And he just came away from Athens right before the dead period, talked up Georgia and, and their development of players, et cetera. So that's that's a real, that's a task. <laughs> You're asking a lot of USC to be able to flip a Georgia kid already committed to Georgia, has been committed to Georgia for about a year now. You know, I set your expectations a little lower, maybe on that one. That is, uh, and we'll talk about this with the tenor Troy, that is just basically... USC doing a good job of uh, of making their presence known, you know, uh, getting him out here on an official visit. That in and of itself is a little bit of a W for USC. Maybe call it a moral victory if you want to in the recruiting trail, but it is uh, a little bit of the needle moving on the barometer of recruiting. Like, hey, you know what? Eric Henderson is out there and he's making some things happen. And that's the result. That's what you're seeing. So if they're able to get those kids on campus, it's still good. Elijah Griffin, again, another guy that a lot of people see uh, ending up at Georgia. And we talked a little bit about Jared Smith. Coincidentally, Jared Smith out of Alabaster, Alabama, goes to Thompson High School, which is the same high school which Anquan Figgins is at. And Anquan Figgins committed to USC 
a while ago. We hardly knew Anquan. His brother, Traquan, is at USC and, and transferred from Alabama to USC. And Anquan Fegans, you know, on the heels of that, committed to USC, subsequently is decommitted from USC. And really, USC doesn't seem like they're very involved with him right now, which is odd because Traquan is still at USC. We thought it was a prelude to Traquan <laughs> turning around and transferring out of USC, which didn't happen. And he did get a little more run towards the end of the year. So we'll see what happens in the spring. You know, that might be uh, where he makes the decision as to whether he wants to stick it out at USC. And then maybe, potentially, uh, they're able to get Anquan Fegans back on campus again. I mean, he committed mostly because his brother was there. So if his brother is still there, there's still maybe a reason to come back to USC and to recommit. So um, an interesting uh, sort of side note there with Jared Smith, because they are teammates at Thompson. Brandon Brown, Justice Terry, Elijah Griffin, Jared Smith, Gerard, Eric Henderson signs them all. How quickly is a statue erected of Eric Henderson <laughs> outside of the Coliseum? How quickly? A day? No, listen, they're tearing down hours? the bike racks. They're tearing down the bike racks. The Peristyle is going to tear down the bike racks, and they're going to put a huge, a a, a wild bunch-sized uh, statue of just Eric Henderson with dog work written underneath it. Uh, if they were able to, to land and sign that front, which is basically a front in and of itself, right? I mean, you could say, hey, Brandon Brown is the nose tackle. Uh, Justice Terry is sort of my defensive tackle, five technique. Um, Elijah Griffin is is tall. You know, he's a good 6'5", so he's like my three technique. And then Jared Smith is my outside linebacker at 6'5", 6'6", you know, 220, 225 pounds. Hennessy in a 50-mile radius of the Coliseum would be sold out for weeks. For weeks, <laughs> I tell you. Let's move on. To the last three, which I'm kind of just mushing together and kind of the second level guys, you have linebacker Christian Thatcher out of Nevada, four-star linebacker who has a USC crystal ball. So he's probably going to be penciled in for a closer and our closer group when that when that time comes around. Cornerback Dijon Lee, who is the number one prospect in California, who USC fans are very familiar with, and then safety Hilton Drake Stubbs, who... We caught up with when he was out here for the uh, uh, the pylon. Was it pylon, Gerard? I get them all. That was the pylon visit. Yeah, that was, was the pylon. seven on seven because he's a safety out of Mandarin High School yeah. in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah, and he really likes USC, or at least when you talk to him, he's very enthusiastic about USC. And USC's been on him for for a little bit. And he, when I asked him about taking an official visit, he sounded pretty sure that he was going to come back. For that official visit. So those are the final three. A lot of defense on this list, Gerard. And those are the final three guys on our sort of confirmed, semi-confirmed list of official visitors for the summer. The guys that say they're say. coming for official visits. Uh, the back seven, you know, Kristen Thatcher, as you said, out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Already crystal ball to USC. Seems like USC is the leader after his unofficial visit to campus and coming away very impressed with Matt Entz and just the the plan for the defense with this new staff. You know, he really just vibed with it. And uh, he followed UCLA and watched uh, their turnaround under DeAnton Lynn. So he has uh, some specific reasons why he thinks USC is going to be able to turn it around uh, in a similar fashion. Um, Dejan Lee is the guy that, you know, he will take an official visit to USC a lot of family ties, not necessarily USC, but just in terms of being fans. And, you know, you can see where 
when he got that USC offer, it was very big for the family. But at the same time, local player, grew up following USC, was ready to maybe commit to Washington, you know, after their big playoff run into the national championship. And he had a really good relationship with the Washington coaching staff. That has kind of blown up because now much of that staff is at Alabama. Alabama is kind of resetting and, and trying to recruit him there. And so there's potential. Georgia is very involved with him as well. Dante Williams was his primary lead recruiter uh, at USC, and now he is at Georgia. So Dijon Lee is looking at Georgia. There could be some NIL involved with his recruitment. So again, that's a little bit of that hanging cloud. What's going to happen by the time we get into June and, and how that goes down. But USC is definitely the home option. He's a kid that's always had good things to say about USC and uh, he'll go up for that official visit and we'll see sort of if it's a golden hour type visit and, you know, they make him a priority and they really push with him. It's really a matter of getting him back on campus unofficially and developing a rapport with the new defensive staff, you know, sitting down with Deanton Lynn, who, you know, we talked to a little bit when he was at UCLA, uh, but more it's about getting a relationship with Doug Belk. And with the local players, it is a bit different because these guys really do know USC and they really do know the struggles of the defense. Some of the guys out of state, USC is a little bit just of a logo. And they start talking about the Reggie Bush era and they start talking about Pete Carroll. And they're not talking about what USC did last year, the year before. And for the local players, they want to see development. Development is a word that you see constantly used with top 100 players. But Dejan Lee, it's no different. It's about player development. Now you're going to say, hey, Gerard, if he's looking for development, then why would he go to Georgia and go play for Dante Williams? Dante Williams was part of the staff, which had the most woeful defense that in my lifetime I've ever seen USC have. And he was a part of that. So why would he go to Georgia and be a part of that? Well, certainly – uh, first and foremost, Dante Williams is going to distance himself from the woes that USC had in the last two years defensively. And we've already kind of heard that off record that, you know, he wasn't the guy calling the plays. Uh, but then also just, you know, sort of leaning against what Georgia has actually done and what Kirby Smart has actually done in that system and how things are going to be so much different. And look at what has happened at Georgia and what you can do at Georgia. So, yeah, I understand there's a little bit of a conflict there in terms of, well, you know, I, I want to see some development from USC. And then, you know, talking about Georgia being a school uh, that you're high on. But nevertheless, we haven't seen what the new defensive staff is really going to do at USC. And we're not going to see that until next season. So when you have Dejon Lee talking about player development, you have Noah McHale talking about player development. You see where they want to like USC and they want to have USC as an option, but there's also that faith-based sort of, do you believe that they're going to turn it around? That's the question ultimately, and that's what this staff has to sell. They have to sell what they haven't done as a staff together. They have to kind of sell what they've done in other schools and say, look, at together, we're going to be even better. It's going to be Voltron, okay? Individually, we're great. But man, when we come together, we're like a super killing robot and, you know, nobody's going to be able to score on this sort of thing. And uh, again, the, the kids have to just have faith that that's going to be the case and they are going to get that development going to USC. And perhaps it doesn't happen with the local players. It's not such a big deal because 
they're always just down the street for an unofficial visit. So even if, you know, Dijon Lee takes his official visit to USC in June, he's like, yeah, I kind of like USC, but eh, I'm not really buying into it yet. I don't really believe they're going to be able to turn it around and the development's going to be so much better. And we saw that with several players in the 2024 class, you know, Xavier Brown, some of those players that liked USC a lot, but they just didn't believe in the hype. They didn't believe in the narrative like, yeah, this is going to be a turnaround year. And that was what they were saying last year. You know, Alex Grinch was out there talking about how they were going to be so much better. Lincoln Riley said they were going to be so much better. It didn't happen. I mean, what else are they going to say, of course, but it didn't happen. And so, you know, those kids that that didn't buy into that were kind of like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> sigh of relief, right? So the thing is, if you do turn it around and you are able during the season to be able to win those games – uh, then, you know, you with the local players, it's a little easier to say, hey, we're undefeated right now. And you know where our defense is ranked? You know where we are in sacks? Do you know where we are in, in rushing yards allowed? Like, we have turned it around. We're 7-0 and right now. And then, yeah, we know you're committed to wherever, Notre Dame, Alabama, Texas, Oregon. Why don't you come down and check us out? Because we're all those things that we were before the end of the summer and now we've shown that from a football standpoint, we're something entirely different. And so you may have that opportunity to kind of re-recruit them and get them back in the mix for signing day. But with the guys from out of state, from Georgia, that's a little harder. You know, with the Texas kids, if they just don't buy in during the summer, then usually that ship has sailed. You know, there's there's, there's a potential they could come back out for an unofficial visit, but it's just a lot harder uh, to do that if they actually decide they're going to reopen their recruitment and start looking around again. Gerard, for now, we can move into what you have labeled unsubstantiated official visitors for summer. I guess we can call it an unsubstantiated rumor spinoff in terms of the visitors for potentially summer. So we're going to do the same kind of idea with skill players, linemen, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, and then our uh, second level guys. So are you ready to jump into the projections? I am ready. Let's go. He is ready. Let's start with the skill guys. Running back Carson Cox, the the local running back uh, out there in Hesperia who USC offered recently. And we feel really good about, about USC locking down. Or if they push, they're going to get a commitment from him. We'll see how that plays out because things change all the time. But we feel good about him getting on campus for an official wide receiver, Dalen McCutcheon. Out of Texas, wide receiver, took an unofficial visit. Uh, this is January winter. Wide receiver, Philip Bell, who is very familiar with USC as a local Southern California guy, teammate of Dijon Lee. Philip Bell went to plenty of games last season. He has been on the board for a while for the Trojans. And then a recent offer at tight end, Gerard. I'm going to screw up the last name, even though it is literally two letters, but AJ Ia. AJ Ia. AJ Ia. Okay, I got it. Uh, the tight end out of Orange, California, who USC, as I said, recently offered uh, this January during the evaluation period. He's a guy that USC could get on campus this summer. Yeah, an eclectic group and one where you kind of assume a little bit with some of them. You know, I talked mm-hmm. to Carson Cox uh, just a few weeks ago after. He took his unofficial visit to USC's junior day and very high on USC. USC definitely pressing, definitely see him as a guy that they want to get committed probably sooner rather than later. And I wouldn't necessarily put that out of the realm of possibility, 
Carson says he wants to take his official visits before he makes a decision, but I could still see him maybe committing at some point during spring ball. He goes to a spring practice, goes to a scrimmage, feeling the vibe, commits, may still take some official visits after he commits, but I could see him committing actually before he takes those official visits. So he's a guy that even though at this point in time, he's saying that he wants to kind of look over some schools and he hasn't quite made a decision yet as to what schools he's going to officially visit. I get the vibe having spoken to him that he will take an official visit. Daniel McCutcheon, no relation to the other Daniel McCutcheon out of Bishop, Bishop Amount High School, played for USC. Uh, out of Lovejoy, Texas. Lovejoy, you always think of uh, Georgia, but he's out of Lovejoy, Texas. Did take an unofficial visit. He was there the weekend that you had Jared Smith and you had the California Power Kids there. And, um, you know, really raved about USC, uh, raved about USC, just not athletically, but academically. The vibe is USC probably gets an official visit from him. Again, he has not necessarily stated I am going to visit USC, but that's a kid that I think USC is definitely in a, a good position for to get him back on campus uh, officially. Philip Bell, again, as Chris said, teammate of Dejan Lee down in Mission Viejo and a kid that's been to USC numerous times. Mom is a huge USC fan. Uh, Philip actually was very familiar with Lincoln Riley because of Oklahoma and, and watched those offenses at Oklahoma and, and liked Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. Uh, so when Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma, it's sort of that combination, that synergy of Lincoln Riley at USC. You have the family favorite combined with his own personal favorite just in terms of offense. They are in a dogfight, though, with Ohio State. And right now it's a USC-Ohio State battle. National guys got the vibe out in Vegas, the battle tournament that Bell was maybe leaning towards uh, Ohio State at this point. Um, and we know Brian Hartline has done a phenomenal job recruiting wide receivers for the Buckeyes. I mean, he has stacked that group year in and year out. He's sort of been a T. Martin type of level recruiter for Ohio State. And so it's uh, it's definitely a true battle there for USC. Um, but, uh, you know, locally, uh, USC is going to be able to get him on campus multiple times and uh, work him. And that's a guy that you definitely see taking an official visit to USC. Again, has not necessarily stated it. I think Blair, uh, Blair Angulo just put up an update of him as well. So uh, he may even say that I'm going to take an official visit to USC. I don't know quote wise uh, what he has, has stated thus far, but more or less assume he'll be on campus officially. Same thing for Orange Lutheran tight end. AJ, yeah, we think that uh, USC is, is one of those big offers for him. He wants to get back for spring ball. Um, you could kind of put him in the, the category of uh, an unofficial visit this spring could lead to an official visit. But at the same time, I think there's a good assumption there that you know he's one of the only guys in the West Coast that USC is recruiting at the tight end position. The other guys that they're recruiting are, are both out of like Kansas, Missouri, some Southern guys. Uh, this is the kid that they have the best shot at. And the fact that they pulled the trigger and they're going after him hard tells you that, you know, they're ready to take that commitment. That's another guy that, you know, I think USC one oddity from last year, which I don't know if it really hurt them, but in terms of momentum going into the summer, it was a bit strange because they only had three commitments. And I think with most schools, you want to get to that point where you've got six, seven, eight, 
uh, kids already committed going into the summer. And so I start to see the outline of some of the kids that USC is pushing after and some of the guys locally who they, you know, maybe would wait on uh, in previous years. This cycle, they want to get some guys already on the commit list and already get the ball rolling and maybe just have a little more camaraderie with some of the players uh, like, you know, Juju Lewis and and having some guys around him. So you have a core of commitments that uh, come into that uh, golden hour weekend and you can kind of build off of maybe that camaraderie with a committed class already. The next group of guys, we have linemen, but I think I'm just going to break them up quickly into offensive line and defensive line. Juan Gaston, which is just an incredible name, the big six foot seven tackle out of Georgia, who when USC and a bunch of other schools offered, he was a virtual nobody, unranked, not even a profile picture. Now he's a one of the best offensive tackle prospects in the country. And then offensive guard Mario Nash Jr. out of Mississippi, who I recently talked to, who told me he is in the process of discussing an official visit for uh, USC. He put USC among his top, uh, I believe it was 10 schools or it might be nine schools. I lose track. But USC is one of the schools on that list who he has not he has not visited at all. So obviously they're kind of on the outside looking in. But it seems like USC is in position to maybe change that and get Mario Nash Jr. on campus and Juan Gaston. And Juan actually might be in the above group, Gerard, because he has recently said that he is setting up official visits and he knows he's going to go to Southern California. So we might actually have to bump him up. Yeah, and Chris asked a good question because he just spoken to Mario Nash Jr. about an official visit. And Mario said, you know, USC is probably one of the schools that I'm going to take an official visit to. So Chris said, well, what's the line here between the unsubstantiated official I want to know the line. I want to know the line. And the guys that we're saying are basically setting visits to USC. The difference would be in the nuance that Mario Nash is from Mississippi and the last kid that USC recruited from Mississippi and landed, I don't know. It goes way (laughs) back before I was born. Um, And the fact that he's still probably trying to set something up, whereas the above list is a little more like Juan Gaston saying that, yes, I am going to visit USC. And still, again, I know I'm going to repeat this several times here. It doesn't mean they actually ever get on campus. It just right now... It's the feeling, the hype and feeling USC and uh, those visits that the coaches made to all these high schools. This is kind of reciprocation of that. Like I liked what the coaches said. I got a good vibe for the coaches when they came down and they met with me. I want to go back out there. I want to see Los Angeles. I want to check it out. Certainly with Mario Nash, that's a kid that's not been on campus yet. And I think you know, deep South Mississippi kid, offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman. That's a guy that you hope to get here unofficially first. So you can get some traction and you can kind of get a feel for the kid, his folks. Is he really ready to leave Mississippi or is this just talk? And, you know, he's just taking an official visit because it's a vacation to LA and USC has been pretty good under Lincoln Riley, weeding a lot of those players out. There are not too many guys that have visited campus that aren't at least somewhat interested in USC beyond just Los Angeles and taking a trip to the beach. So I think with uh, the the difference there, you know, again, Mario Nash never having been to campus and just being from where he is and, you know, probably taking a visit. I still feel a little better about some of the other guys 
Um, and I wouldn't necessarily go against Juan Gaston saying he's going to take an official visit and just taking him at his word and bumping him up a little bit in terms of uh, the guys that uh, are, are setting visits from the guys that are sort of the unsubstantiated but projected to probably end up taking official visits at USC. This is a long list, and you don't usually have this many visitors. So, again, like I said, some of these guys are going to weed themselves out. Mario Nash may end up taking an unofficial visit to Ole Miss and shut it down. And shut it down, and you'll never hear that name again. You'll never hear from him again. But it's such a fun name, Gerard. It's such a fun name, and he's basically half of his name is a cilantro boy. How could that not be fun? We're talking about Mario Nash? I'm talking about Juan Gaston. Oh, okay. Okay. No, Juan Gaston, I mean, same is said for, for him. Sorry, I thought Mario. you were talking about them both interchangeably. No, with Mario I, Nash, I, I missed the Mario more, part. Yeah, Mar- Mario Nash would be Ole Miss, and, you know, Ole Miss is recruiting really well. Like, we, we have to remember, see, this is where the hype train, it gets into the tunnel a bit. And you start hearing everybody talking to themselves and we forget that there's an outside and there's other trains (laughs) that are also leaving the station at the same time. And some of those trains are bigger and faster when it comes to recruiting certain areas. And the fact of the matter is Georgia's out there, Alabama's out there, uh, you know, Ole Miss is out there, Florida's out there, Florida State, et cetera, et cetera. And they're going to get their guys. And some of their guys are going to be these guys. And so we can kind of look myopically at this is what USC is doing. It's great. It's positive. But at the same time, there are going to be some guys that are going to be taken off this list because they're going to be recruited by other schools and other schools are going to get them in on their unofficial visits during spring practice. And they're going to work them. They're going to recruit them. They're going to do what they do. And they're going to have success like they've had success. Our next group, more beef, Gerard, more beef. We had a very stacked list of defensive linemen. In the top group, we have another interesting group between nose tackle Kevin Wynn, who USC recently made his top 10. I believe he is also out of Georgia. I'm uh, panicking right now because I don't know that to be a fact. Okay, I stalled long enough for you to jump in there. (laughs) No, no, he's from Greensboro. He's from Greensboro, and he is yeah. beef, 6'2", two, two, uh, 320 pounds, yeah. another nose tackle. Potentially, I mean, maybe, you know, you kind of see, again, and this is a little bit of uh, speculation, but you're starting to kind of see the tiers of recruits, and I don't mean crying tiers. I mean, tier one, tier two, tier three, sort of the the guys at out of the gates that, you know, are like these are the guys that we're really pushing for. And then maybe the guys, okay, we're still happy if we can get these guys sort of thing. The the food chain is is sorting itself out a little bit here. And so, you know, when I see um, Brandon Brown, you know, 6'1", 285, nose tackle, and then I see uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Wynn at 6'2", uh, I see two nose tackles there. And I know USC is probably not going to take two nose tackles. So you kind of get the sense like, all right, you get a feel for, you know, who who's, um, you know, what the board's starting to look like. Playing off Kevin Wynn, you have Christian Garrett, another defensive tackle, again, out of Georgia. You have a four-star Isaiah Gib- Gibson, a defensive end, also out of Georgia. If I don't know where they're from, Gerard, I'm just going to say Georgia. But these three, <laughs> all out of Georgia. And then you have some Cali guys and Marco Jones, who you have mentioned, Gerard, out of the NorCal region. And then, or is it... Uh, Central California. 
No, NorCal. Dan NorCal. goes to San Ramon Valley, which is up there around Concord. They, uh, the Monta Vista is the big school in Danville. I have mentioned anywhere that's not Southern Cal, I just assume it's NorCal. And I've had some people message me, be like, no, this is actually Central California and, and yell at me. But technically, anything above Southern California is technically Northern California. It's Technically, you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm North saying? California, uh, Southern California? Yeah, well, it's northern. Wherever it is northern. What is Southern California? Does it end at Bakersfield? Like, there's all, there's always those people that, you I know, don't, there, I, I think Bakersfield is central to, California. We're going to get a very, um, actually, email in our next section. Someone's going <laughs> to actually. email in the, the uh, um, actually, Central California starts at this, or Southern California ends there. I don't want to touch that subject. And then Hayden Lowe the defensive end out of uh, Oaks Christian, who USC has offered since last spring, I believe, uh, when they got him on campus. So summer, no, it was uh, summer. It came from yeah, because uh, remember it stars. came from the uh, the seven on seven tournament yeah. where he was playing tight end, and we're like, who is that dude? Who's this? Who's this man? <laughs> but those round out our defensive linemen for the unsubstantiated official visitors, Gerard. A lot of Georgia, a lot of Georgia, a lot of Georgia, interesting, interesting group. Um, Marco Jones, who I spoke to after the pylon tournament, he spent the whole day Saturday uh, during uh, that uh, weekend at USC. And he was with his folks. He was also with his uncle, Mike Jones, who played at USC. And so Saturday, a lot of the guys that were with California Power and they're out of state, they just hung out at the seven on seven tournament. So, again, Brandon Brown and uh, Myron Charles, some of those guys just, you know, chatted with them. They were just hanging out on the sidelines watching the seven-on-seven tournament. Marco Jones wasn't there because he was at USC. And it was kind of funny because I spoke to Noah McHale that night, and Noah wasn't at the seven-on-seven tournament. He's like, no, I I actually went to USC this morning. I was like, oh, wow, okay. I didn't know. I thought you were going to be playing in the tournament. He's like, no, no, no. and I was like, oh, well, did you talk to any other recruits that were down there? Did, did you meet anybody? He goes, well, yeah, Marco was down there uh, in the morning. And what was funny is that Marco was down there in the morning when Noah was down there. And then he was also there the whole day during the nighttime when the California Park guys got there later at like 3, 3.30 for the basketball game. So Marco was like posted up at USC. And it was a huge, huge visit for him because I'd spoken to him previous weeks at this uh, Super 7 tournament, and a little bit even before then, and USC just really wasn't on his radar. Despite having an uncle that actually played at USC, he still really just had no relationship, no vibe. He talked up Penn State. He talked up uh, going to Michigan. uh, He talked up Oregon. He really didn't have a lot to say about USC. And so it was really kind of one of those things. It's like, okay, well, you know, I mean – you want to get up there for spring ball and kind of see the new defense? Like, well, yeah, you know, DeAnton Lynn is coming to my high school and I've talked with him and, it, you know, it seems kind of interesting. They did have a lot of success there at UCLA. Um, you know, Laetitia Latu, uh, who is the love of Clay Helton's life, even though he didn't end up at USC. Um, talks he's going to be, uh, be a lottery pick in the NFL. So yeah, I talked about him up. specifically. Talked about how Coach Lynn and that defense, how they were able to get guys like that. And he kind of compared himself to Latu as a player. And so, um, you know, he 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 had interest from that standpoint, but really there was nothing resonating with him in USC. Then he goes and takes that visit. We get to talk to him after uh, that day on campus, 
And it just USC just made a huge move for him. You know, he was able to see the campus for the first time. He was able to kind of get the vibe for the coaching staff and was able to kind of see, you know, watching film and seeing what they wanted to do from a schematic standpoint that got him excited. And so they made a big move. I, I still have heard that Oregon might be his leader. Like that's the favorite. He still has a, a very good relationship with that coaching staff and that coaching staff has been there for a while. So it's an established relationship as opposed to, you know, USC's kind of trying to make up ground from that standpoint, but definitely a guy that I can see officially visiting USC. He told me flat out, I'm not ready to name schools uh, for official visits. You know, I'm, I'm, I got to sort that out with my family. But again, I think with the unofficial visit, the move, how hard they're recruiting him now, um, their vision for him, you know, his uncle, like I said, has a connection to the university. I think that all aligns with a guy that probably ends up at USC. So again, never said anything about I'm going to officially visit USC. He didn't tell anybody that, you know, that I know that was there. I was listening to him talking to Connor and, and what have you. Um, but, you know, in terms of like, yeah, if I had to put money on it, yeah, I think Marco Jones ends up taking an official visit to USC. Isaiah Gibson is one of the very intriguing prospects here. A guy that's, you know, could be an interior guy, uh, could be a guy that you put on the outside. Um, just a really good looking athlete. USC making a big move for him. They got it probably get him on campus for an unofficial visit first. Uh, but that's a, this is the group where you start to say, okay, you know, Elijah Griffin, uh, Justice Terry, these kids that are like at the high end, everybody and their brother is going to be recruiting him. You know, NIL is going to be a factor here. Uh, whether the kids themselves or the families make it about NIL or not remains to be seen. But nevertheless, you know that even before NIL was legal, <laughs> these are the type of kids. It was very difficult, even in the best of years for USC to be able to get their foot in the door with flat out. It's just, that's, that's just the fact of the matter. So you, you go, okay, take it with a grain of salt. And USC is making some moves. It's positive, but this is the group where you start to go, okay, you know, Christian Garrett, a little, you know, maybe a little more off the radar talking about USC says, you know, he wants to come out for an official visit. Uh, Isaiah Gibson, again, a good looking player. We can't forget that USC did go into the South. They did go into Atlanta and they grabbed Cameron Fountain, who yeah, was a pretty damn good player. And so you know, they've been able to get some guys. You, know, you go back and look at, you know, Kyle Moore out of Houston County and they've had some success here and there. But again, the good thing is they're cultivating multiple options here. So it's not just we're going to put all our eggs in the Myron Charles basket. We're going to put all our eggs in the you know Elijah Griffin basket. I mean, of course you want those guys, but you've got to be able to have a, a bigger group of guys. You go, okay, these guys can come play for us. They can help us win some championships. Like we we can develop these guys. We can work with these guys. USC wasn't doing that previously. I mean, the past two cycles, it was just like, holy cow. You, you brought in two guys the whole summer that can play interior defensive line. like, And one of them is, is a pretty big long shot. How, how are you going to build a defensive line like that? So this is a little more what you want to see from that standpoint. Um, you know, and, and Hayden Lowe thrown in there as well, the local player, uh, the guy that uh, could play outside linebacker, could put his hand in the ground. He did make it down to the USC Junior Day, raved about the visit and is being recruited by Sean Nua and 
Eric Henderson. And so he really likes it. That's a guy that, you know, he's coached up by Greg Townsend, a former USC Trojan, and um, really speaks highly of the coaching staff and has a lot of potential. He's a kid that, you know, you could – I think you could put weight on. He could definitely be an interior guy. Uh, but he's working right now to uh, develop his athleticism in space and be able more to be an outside linebacker. And again, in Danton Lynn's defense, you're going to see bigger outside linebackers. So that becomes more of a possibility. In the past, that was just a talking point to sell kids. Like, oh, yeah, you could be an outside linebacker. You know, look at Drake Jackson sort of thing. You roll your eyes. Yeah, well, that wasn't to the benefit of Drake Jackson. But here, this defense, you actually are going to have these bigger players up at the line of scrimmage, and you're going to, you know, do less with them in coverage and what have you. But nevertheless, they are going to potentially have to do that now and again. And so a guy like Hayden Lowe, he could be an outside linebacker. Mar you know, we didn't talk about this with Marco Jones. He plays outside linebacker right now. Excuse me, he plays a middle linebacker right now. He is a linebacker by trade. His experience at the high school level is playing linebacker, playing in space. So he's just getting to understand and to know what it's like to play off the edge as a full-time edge rusher. So he's another guy that really fits the scheme well because he has the experience of playing off the line of scrimmage and what it's like to have to cover, what it's like to have to take angles when you're in space. But he has the frame in the body that he is going to grow in 100% into being an edge rusher. He'll be 260, 265, easy. He's 235, 240 now, and he's got plenty of weight that he can put on. He's really, like, in terms of development, he's got all of that ahead of him. So, again, I mean, from the standpoint of projection, like, that's a guy that's going to fit this defense really, really well. And the final group of these unsubstantiated rumor official visit guys would be linebacker Noah McHale, who I don't really know how he's not in the top group. He has visited USC 500,000 times. You know him, the Bonita, California linebacker, one of USC's top linebackers on their board. Cornerback Dorian Brew out of Texas, I think by way of Ohio, a five-star caliber cornerback in the 2025 class cornerback Jonte Gilbert also out of Georgia also out of Georgia who has visited USC numerous times and USC is a big player for him cornerback Chuck McDonald out of modern day high school local kid out of California and then cornerback Jayon Young who I'm blanking on his origin of location I think it's California Sierra Canyon High School. Yes, I, so, I I thought that's what I was thinking. I doubled down on it and just said California. So I am right. We can end the show. Bada bing, bada boom. Going back to what you said about Noah McHale, the reason yeah, why yeah, he's please, not please. in the set list because he has not said that he has set his official visits. He set his unofficial visits just recently, and I believe he's going to be at USC April 13th. And He'll take an official visit to USC. I'm pretty confident that of the schools he's going to see this summer, USC will definitely make the list. But again, he hasn't said that. And if he's saying I'm still going through that process of trying to make that decision, then I respect that. And I'm not going to say, oh, don't worry about what he says publicly. He's going to take an official visit to USC. I don't want to do that. I want to put words in the kid's mouth. So for right now, Noel McHale is a – Projected official visitor, probable official visitor, but not a guy that's actually set official visit or said he's going to set an official visit date 
with USC. Um, but nevertheless, in his recruitment, uh, you've got Oregon, you've got Texas, uh, you've got uh, Alabama, I think is still uh, recruiting him and involved with him. He's going to take uh, a few unofficial visits here uh, as the dead period uh, opens back up. And uh, Greg Biggins had a story on that. So you can check that out where he talks about those schools specifically. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, USC, I mean, they got him down for an unofficial visit uh, for that weekend where California Power came in. He didn't actually go with California Power, though. As I stated, he went down with his family earlier on that Saturday and hung out and got to meet Matt Ince. And, I mean, again, that's the thing that's always going to be the trump card in recruiting local players is the ability to have them come in on unofficial visits just whenever. You know, it's like, hey, are you free this weekend? Cool, man. Hey, can you come down? tomorrow <laughs> and it's like yeah yeah sure whatever I'll ask my dad ask my mom and they can come down and you can you know recruit them and get them around the players and get them around the staff so that is a work in progress you know him getting to know Matt Ants, getting to know the defensive staff he does have a little bit of a relationship with DeAnton Lynn the one thing that we did learn though is that from a standpoint of linebackers and again we're kind of starting to see the the tier one, tier two, the the pecking order a bit on the board. Noah McHale is at the top. And he's at the top because D'Anton Lynn went and actually saw him three times in about a month. Uh, he saw him as a UCLA defensive coordinator. Uh, he saw him, uh, I think it was like the day after it was announced that he was uh, uh, going to be the defensive coordinator taking over at USC. And then after that dead period, um, in uh, mid-January or mid-December into January, he ended up uh, coming and visiting him again at his high school. So that tells me, you know, he's all in on on recruiting uh, Noel McHale and recruiting him as a Mike linebacker. And so he's high on the board. Uh, Doran Brew did make it out here and um, does seem to have a prior relationship with Doug Belk. And uh, we've been trying to track him down uh, to get some type of review on his uh, unofficial visit to USC. But that's a kid that we hear behind the scenes. You know, Ohio State's going to be tough to beat, but USC has some prior inroads, so they're working that. Um, Jonte Gilbert, been here several times, really likes USC. Another kid that I think Clemson is kind of the school to beat right now for him, uh, but USC is trying to make it interesting. Um, and has said in the past to me, he thinks USC is one of those schools he's probably going to take an official visit to, uh, but has not really said that on record that, you know, USC is a school that he's going to unofficially visit. He did not make it out here that weekend with California Power. He does usually play with California Power, but I think he was taking an unofficial visit somewhere else that weekend. So he had uh, prior plans, but he could end up back out here for another uh, unofficial visit sometime during the spring. So that would probably be mid-April. We'll see. We'll see uh, if that happens, maybe for spring game or what have you. But he's very comfortable because he's been out here like three times, I think, at this point. Chuck McDonald, uh, as you said, you know, out of the modern-day kids, Chuck McDonald's the kid that they have the best chance at right now. He's been to USC multiple times. Um, he doesn't have the same relationship with this staff as he did with the last staff. That's really the biggest obstacle right now with USC, just – kind of getting him familiar with the new staff and how they want to use him and what have you. But he was, uh, you know, pretty happy about what he heard from the staff uh, after his unofficial visit for junior day. And he did come down to junior day with Sean Scott, the 2026 linebacker uh, at modern day. And they both had some good things about 
uh, to say about USC. And so uh, Chuck McDonald is a guy that I could see um, certainly being on campus for an official visitor, a golden hour uh, visitor. And then Jayon Young, another guy that, uh, you know, a kid that loves USC and wants to get to USC more, will be at USC for the spring. And he'll probably be at uh, a couple of different uh, practices and um, could potentially be a guy that ends up on campus for an official visit. That's one of those things where, again, we're kind of trying to see how the board is shaking out. Uh, but certainly there's lots of guys that you can talk about. You know, you could talk about the Dorian Brews, but at the end of the day, you know, does Dorian Brew really go to USC over Ohio State? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But um, the, the, there's going to be a pecking order there. The board is going to kind of shake out a little bit. And so we'll see how that happens. That also will impact you know, who ends up being official visitors during the summer and who they might want to bring in later. A Justin Taunau, if you will, you know, the offensive tackle out of Huntington Beach High School who was supposed to be in on that last visit weekend in June, the the catch-all weekend, and ended up not being invited to USC, subsequently commits to Stanford. And then, you know, we saw how that all shook out and he ends up uh, taking an official visit later in the season to USC and committing USC. So there's always that aspect. And with some of the local players, you know, that's sometimes how things shake out. They are going to push to try to bring the out-of-state guys in first because that's going to give you the idea of sort of like where you are with them. You know, you get a better, you know, get a better feel for what your class is going to look like. I think it's, you know, during the summer you're, you're shooting, is for the stars, if you will, and you're bringing in, you know, your top A guys and seeing who you can get on campus. And then you kind of see, okay, what else do we have to fill for the rest of the class as you get into September? Our final group are recruits that are looking like they're going to take an unofficial visit that could, that USC could parlay into official visits in the summer. That's why we have mentioned how important it is to see who they actually get in on spring for that quote-unquote traction visit to set them up for an official visit in the summer. So that's what this group is. We're going to do the same thing, go to these little positions. We're going to start with the skill guys running back Harlem Berry out of New Orleans, out of Louisiana, Talented four-star running back out of the South. Wide receiver Taz Williams, who USC just offered earlier this week. I actually spoke to him. He's already in discussions about coming out for an official visit. They want him to come out for an official visit and possibly come out in the spring. A three-star wide receiver in our rankings out of Texas. And then wide receiver Chris Lawson, who I am blanking on his state of origin i'm going San to say Cali- california baby norcal baby norcal out of archbishop reardon the t- former teammate of kalolo taaga who usc signed out of archbishop reardon last cycle so a talented four-star wide receiver six foot 175 pounds these are guys usc might be able to parlay into some official visits in the summer yeah, now Harlan Berry's already committed to LSU, but from what I understand, there's a little bit of a relationship with Eric Henderson there. And so we'll see if um, there aren't some uh, ninja moves made in the shadows to try to get Harlan Berry uh, out here on an unofficial visit at some point during the spring. It wouldn't shock me from what I hear. And then, like you said, try to parlay that 
into an official visit, which, you know, again, that's completely up in the air, whether that would happen or not. Um, Taz Williams, interestingly, was actually on campus during the summer for one of the camps at USC. He didn't participate in the camp. He was uh, hurt. He had a little bit of an ankle issue. Um, I thought he had a scholarship offer from USC then, actually, but apparently he didn't because he just got offered a scholarship. Now he was part of a bigger group of kids that were touring. They'd been to Oregon. They'd been to UCLA. They went to USC, and they actually came down uh, to USC. And, um, you know, there were mixed reviews from that group um, that uh, unofficially visited USC and camped at USC. I don't know how much traction USC really has with that group. Uh, So that's one of the reasons why, although, you know, Taz told you, you know, that's a school that I'm in talks with potentially taking an official visit. I mean, again, there's a lot of these kids are just talking about official visits Mm -hmm. and then they don't even realize there's only four weeks in June. (laughs) You know, they're just like, yeah, I'm going to take an official visit here. I'm going to take it. I have infinite official visits. And then you realize, yeah, but you only have so much time that you can actually take those official visits. So time is of the essence. It's not the amount of official visits you can take. The limitation is going to be those windows you can take those visits in. And some kids will cram, you know, midweek visits in and they will be able to maybe take five uh, official visits in June. Or maybe they could take six because they take them in May and June, but very rarely. Most kids are only taking four or five at the very most. Many end up taking two or three. So we'll see what happens with Taz Williams. That's a little bit of an asterisk for me. Um, just like I said, having spoken to him and spoken to uh, some of the folks around him that are going to be involved with his recruitment. Um, interestingly enough, he's a part of a group that um, is uh, also involved with Michael Fafusi, who we'll talk about here shortly, the four-star offensive lineman from Louisville, Texas. Uh, Chris Lawson from up north. We really haven't heard a whole lot about Chris. Uh, USC recruiting NorCal is always a bit of a mixed bag. Um, he's been up at Oregon we think Oregon's probably the leader for him. So USC's kind of got to use their unofficial visit with him as a traction visit. I mean, this is, you know, really the first time they're going to be able to sit down and really get some emphasis with him at some point during the spring. He says he wants to get down to USC. I think he will eventually get down to USC for that unofficial visit. So it's just a matter of, you know, how what kind of impact does the staff make uh, with him? You would think they would make a big impact just because of the offense. And, you know, it's certainly not the same as it is with the defense. You don't have to put faith in the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball. You've seen great production from the offensive side of the ball the past two years and certainly even stretching back to Lincoln Riley's tenure at Oklahoma and before that, East Carolina. So they have a lot to sell at the wide receiver position. Also, just the tradition of USC. And that's where, I mean, you know, the the – the sort of um, line down the middle of recruiting the old fashioned way and the NIL era. Whereas you've got Oregon that's fully invested in NIL, uh, fully invested in, in making deals for kids out of high school. And then the fact that USC is the school with all the tradition at wide receiver, all the pro development wide receiver, both, both in the past and the present. And so it's like, why would you go to Oregon where they just they don't, have not had very much success at that position over the years? And they don't look like they're going to have any success at that position 
in the future. I mean, they've been kind of flailing. Even some of the really good recruiting classes they've had with guys like Troy Franklin haven't necessarily done a whole lot from a development standpoint. But nevertheless, you know, money talks. And so uh, we'll see if if that uh, is something that USC can compete with. Um, but Chris Lawson's definitely going to be a guy that it, people are going to say it's Oregon's to lose until USC is able to get in front of him and really make a big push and get him on campus, maybe multiple times before there's an official visit. But, you know, at this point, that's completely open-ended. Let's move on to the big boys, starting with the offensive linemen. Offensive guard champ Taulele out of North Cal, out of NorCal, who seems very eager to visit USC, did not get a chance to visit during the uh, January period, even though he was trying to. I, I feel good about him eventually making it down. In the spring at some point, you have offensive tackle Douglas Utu out of Nevada, Bishop Gorman, one of the top offensive tackle prospects in the nation. You, As you mentioned, Michael Fasusi out of Texas, another of the top offensive tackle prospects in the country. Offensive, ta- offensive tackle John Mills out of the NorCal area who USC offered during the uh, the January period and is just a massive human being. At six foot six, three hundred and twenty pounds, has visited USC multiple times for some game days. I actually really, really like him, and I it's going to be like one of my my dark horses. Like I feel like this guy could end up in the class. His brother actually goes to USC; he's on the swim team. So I actually like John Mills to maybe actually you know end up in twenty twenty five. That's just like some early talking for me. That's just me talking out loud a little bit. But Gerard, some big boys on this list this is the group that's going to be the most interesting to watch going into spring football who shows up and who doesn't because this is kind of the the a group that usc is working from and we've talked about a lot of prospects and the emphasis has been with defensive linemen and interior defensive linemen which it's an oddity it's something new for us to talk about with recruiting at this point in time in the year with usc but the offensive side of the ball it's a little more on schedule. You know, it's it's definitely behind uh, defense in terms of the kids that are talking up, taking official visits and having some early hype. Uh, USC needs to kind of cultivate these options and make sure that they can get these guys on campus unofficially so there's a realistic shot that they're able to close the deal with some of these guys officially. So that's really what that group's about. But even though we're talking about, like, Unofficial visits that could lead to official visits, as Chris says, with John Mills. Some of these guys have been on campus multiple times already. And so it's not necessarily one of these things where you're introducing yourself to these kids. It's just building up that relationship over other schools, you know, getting these kids on your campus instead of Oregon's campus or somebody else's campus and being able to, you know, strike that relationship and that rapport and be able to close the deal. You know, with Michael Fafusi, he was out here. That summer, he did participate in the camp and he worked out and he likes USC, but he likes a lot of other schools as well. So it's one of those things where I get the vibe. A, USC has to make some moves with his recruiting circle uh, as well as him personally, and then probably get him back on campus at some point in order to have a real shot at, you know, being in his like top three or, or you know, have a hat on the table by the time he's going to make that commitment. But you know, right now, definitely, I get the vibe on the outside looking in for USC. Moving on to more defensive linemen, defensive tackle Jarquez Jar- Carter out of Florida, 
defensive tackle uh, Trajan Odom out of North Carolina. We don't talk a lot about North Carolina prospects, Gerard. Defensive tackle Dylan Battle, another large human being, six foot two, three hundred and ten pounds, who I believe Coach Henny went to see himself out of Texas. He is an unranked prospect currently. Defensive tackle Josiah Sugar Bear Sharma, the former Washington commit, who out of NorCal, who you know might be that that next. Uh, Big war daddy that USC fans love. Big defensive tackle in California. That are only that's the only uh, requirements you need to have that via pair style favorite. And then defensive tackle Xavier Ukpono, who USC offered in the January period. I spoke with him. He's going to be on campus during the spring. At least that's his plan. But some more defensive linemen, Gerard. They are the most populous position on these lists. Yeah, again, that's something that hasn't been the case in prior years. So you got a lot of players talking the talk about USC. And, you know, I spoke to Dylan Battle specifically. And again, you kind of get the the sense like the board shaking itself out. Another guy you look at and you go, okay, that's probably a nose tackle uh, that USC is recruiting. But a lot of beef here, uh, a lot of potential here. And again, You know, we can talk about Justice Terry all day long. We can hype up USC's chances with Elijah Griffin and Jared Smith. But, you know, maybe these are the guys that end up through it all are the guys that USC ends up circling back with and has a a better shot with. You know, you sort of find your guy. And listen, they need to find some guys. And it doesn't necessarily need to be all the top five-star guys on your board, you just have to have guys that can contribute for your football program and build from there. And there's been a lack of even having some of those players to to play with uh, that fit the system. But this is definitely much more in line with what you would look at from a defense that wants to start going with more three down defensive linemen. They want to be more assertive. They want to be bigger up front. They want to be able to control the line of scrimmage with bigger bodies. I mean, there are a lot of bigger bodies here. When we talked about Marco Jones being more of an outside linebacker than looked at as a defensive end. And then you look at guys like uh, Dylan Battle and uh, you look at, the, you know, some of the prior players we've talked about with Kevin Wynn, um, Isaiah Gibson. Um, these are big bodies. These are, you know, kids not just from the SEC, but even the kids that they're recruiting out here locally. Um, you know, Josiah Shar- uh, Sharma this is a big kid. You know, that's a 6'5 uh, defensive lineman. That's where USC wants to be ideally. Now, the good thing is going into this year when you don't have those players on campus yet is if you're Danton Lynn, you're not panicking because you know what you got out of those players at UCLA. And guess what? UCLA didn't have any of these guys on the roster. They didn't. I mean, you know, outside of having uh, Jay Toya who transferred over from USC. I mean, I think that was just a probably, I mean, if he would have got hurt, I don't know that that was a big, a big deal for them to have that nose tackle in the middle uh, to at least control the middle of defense, but they had to really work with less to get more from a lot of the other positions, having guys like Carl Jones at 230 pounds playing over the three technique and password situations. So this is, you see what, ideally they would like to see the defense look like and you have multiple guys like I just said you know you sort of uh, look at that top group of guys that have talked about 
taking the official visit to USC and already wanting to do it. You know, Brandon Brown being in the middle, Justice Terry uh, being a potential uh, guy that could kind of play the five technique or the three technique, and then Elijah Griffin probably being more of a three technique and Jared Smith being a stand-up guy. You know, that's kind of your, your sort of your starter uh, base right there. Maybe, you know, flanked by a Marco Jones who, um, you know, Jared Smith, a bit more of a rush in, whereas Marco Jones, because he's played off the line of scrimmage and he's played linebacker, can be more of your outside linebacker type. That actually brings up a question which you probably don't have an answer with, and I apologize for putting you on the spot, but you did go down and speak, um, or was it just Ryan and Connor with the assistant coaches? I can't remember if you made that uh, meeting where the new assistant staff from yeah, the defense I was there. Talked, a, talked a little bit about the defense and I forgot to text you this. Um, the only question really I would have had is, you know, asking DeAnton Lynn and maybe even Matt Entz, what do you call your linebackers? Because we've talked about that in previous podcasts. Mm. And I've tried to do a little bit of studying on that. And we've talked about the Ted inside linebacker, which was a Rex Ryan thing. Uh, but, I mean, are they just calling one of their positions sort of rush in and the other position outside linebacker? And then you've got your Mike and Will, or is there some kind of fancy names for their linebacker positions and their defensive line positions. There was no fancy names thrown out at us during that, during that period. That's, that's definitely going to have to be something that comes up in the spring when we're, when we're talking to the coaches more, but yeah, that would have been a good thing to ask. They didn't say anything. They didn't give a, a crazy name uh, for any linebacker or other defensive end position or defensive outside linebacker positions, anything like that. I mean, sometimes coaches see that as something they can recruit behind, like, oh, this is our predator position. This is our yeah. buck position. This is our famous star safety position. They, they they do that. And then other coaches like to kind of leave it general and vague and whether they're talking like that in the film room or not. But it's like, yeah, this is our outside linebacker position. This is our rush-in position, at least from the NFL standpoint it seems to have developed that way because, I mean, I've done quite a bit of research into just, you know, Mike McDonald's defense and coming from that tree, even going back to Wink Martindale, like what were they calling their linebackers and what have you. And you really don't get into any kind of specific names until you get all the way back into Rex Ryan. So more recently it's been, this is the outside linebacker position. This is the rush end position. And then there's our two inside linebackers and, you know, they're very vague in general about what they look for in specific players. That's just keeping your cards close to the vest. Absolutely, these coaches look for different things from certain positions. You know, they they don't want to say, yeah, with this guy, I'm looking for a 6'5", 285-pound three technique because you may not be able to get that guy. You may not be able to recruit that guy, and all of a sudden, now you've got some kid in there that's 6'3", 250, and everybody's going to go, well, you didn't get the guy you wanted. And so there's a little bit of uh, kind of, uh, you know, ducking accountability, I think, a little bit when it comes to, you know, just putting your flag in the round and saying, look, at this is the guys that we need to make this defense run uh, because you don't always get those guys. And sometimes you're surprised. Sometimes you can think, hey, you know what? We need defensive linemen that are all 6'4", 285 pounds. And then a guy like Mike Patterson comes up and all of a sudden at 5'11", 300 pounds, ends up being an all-conference, all-American-level player for you that gets drafted. And it's like, well, I thought that I needed these specific body types and turns around that that's not really the case. And, you know, even Aaron Donald is not the biggest defensive lineman in the world. So, you know, th there is a little bit of that as well where you don't necessarily want to um, 
you, you know, put a specific profile out there because you may actually find that that it doesn't it doesn't represent what can contribute and be productive in the defense. And sometimes, you know, if you're a good coach, you can just work around with whoever. Like I just said, Danson Lynn. I mean, he was using Carl Jones and um, Lealatu Latu. Um, there was a few different players that they had that position-wise, in terms of the techniques that they were playing, the Murphy twins. I mean, you know, 6'3", 260, Grayson Murphy, Gabe Murphy, these guys are not playing those positions in the defense that – you know, ideally you're able to draft the players that you want, right? Like, I mean, if you're even at Alabama or Georgia and you can kind of recruit a bunch of players and you can pick and choose in terms of like the guys that you want in the front, those are not the guys you're playing at those positions. You're not putting a 6'3", 260 guy at three technique. But DeAntonin was able to make it work despite, you know, not having the guys at every position that uh, from a profile standpoint traditionally – uh, or the guys that you want playing those positions. So you have to also look at that and, and realize, you know what, man, sometimes you can get away with some stuff and you, you know, it's just, it's the whole, it's not the uh, size of the dog. It's the uh, size of the bite. What's, what, what is that? Uh, it's not it's the not size the, of the dog. It's the size of the bite in the dog. No, it's not the, it's no, not, it's exactly uh, what I just said. Just the repeated. fight in the dog. Yeah. It's something about, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight, fight in, the dog, in the dog, I think, is what it is. Yes. Got it. Got it. Um, that was awesome that you just repeated erroneously what I repeated, which was clearly wrong. I'm a follower. But, I'm a follower. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. This podcast has become an echo chamber, Chris. Um, but, uh, yeah, nevertheless, uh, certainly at least, again, from the standpoint of looking at these names and the players and the size, I mean, you're looking at an ideal group of prospects to choose from. If you're USC, you're not seeing a bunch of defensive ends at 240 and projecting, well, maybe they can put on another 40 pounds and end up being interior defensive linemen, which is really what we saw, not just from Alex Grinch at USC, but going back and watching how they recruited Oklahoma and the criticism that started there of small ball, it was pretty just because if you look at those recruiting classes, you have like one or two guys that are over 280 pounds that are playing defensive line. And all they really heavily recruited a lot of edge rusher guys that were 230, 240. And again, that's not the worst thing in the world because, you know, these days, a lot of the guys you're seeing drafted, whether it be off to tackle, uh, whether it be linebacker, it seems like there's a lot of guys that are undersized going into college, coming out of high school. They're able to put on good weight and they just have that multi-sport athleticism. You kind of see that profile of multiple positions these days. The guys are actually getting drafted, but the problem is you have to put weight on those guys and you have, you know, the guys that you bring in that are at 280, 270 pounds, you don't want to see them all of a sudden losing weight a la Anthony Lucas. So this is a group that you're not, you're not asking Dylan battle to come in and lose, you know, 25 pounds. You're not asking Elijah Griffin to, to lose a bunch of weight. These guys are coming in to do what they're doing now. And you see this as the type of defense that, I mean, if you're able to pick and choose from this group is the one that's going to win you a national championship. The final group, as we have mentioned in the previous two sections, we have linebacker Riley Pettyjohn, who I would say is one of their top 
linebacker prospects, a top 50 prospect out of Texas. McKinley, Texas, former teammate of Brian Jackson, their running back signee from 2024. USC is going to get an unofficial visit this uh, spring, and he has been on campus multiple times already. I feel really good about their chances getting an official visit, or at least having scheduled an official visit. Will he make it out there? Does he shut it down early? Has plenty of big-time suitors. We'll see. But I like where USC is in recruiting. Riley Pettyjohn, local cornerback LaRue Zamora, who I know, Gerard, you're a really big fan of, out of uh, uh, Centennial, out there in the IE. And then athlete Kelshawn Johnson, who is a wide receiver out of Texas, who has visited. And I believe he is going to be on campus this spring again. So that is another wide receiver to keep an eye on. We just have him here listed as an athlete. I believe he's listed as an athlete, but I believe he is a wide receiver or being recruited as a wide receiver. So technically we should have moved him up, but it's okay, Gerard. It's okay. Yeah, Riley Pettijohn is a guy that, yeah, you could definitely argue should be on the maybe probably will officially visit list. The thing is right now USC's kind of playing from behind with the local schools. And you do get the vibe his recruitment is going more the way of Xavier Vilzami, this five-star safety out of McKinley, than Brian Jackson, the running back that USC had McKit, uh, had commit out of McKinley High School. And so Brian Jackson was under-recruited. He was kind of off the radar for a bunch of the local Texas schools, even Oklahoma. So USC kind of found their guy there, right? You know, that's this is kind of what I'm saying here. Sometimes you just have to find your guy, and he could be a good player that's just overlooked by other schools. But you're not having to go against Texas. You're not having to go against Texas A&M, and you're not having to recruit against the local powerhouse programs in order to land a kid. With Riley Pettijohn, you're going to have to go head-to-head with those schools to be able to beat them out to land him. So. It's a little bit like, okay, you know, we could say probably he ends up officially visiting USC, but I could see also where he lists his visits, he says he's going to visit USC, and then never makes it to campus. That's possible too. So maybe that's why he dropped down to this list. LaRue Zamorano, uh, who, you know, really didn't hear much from USC in their transition of new coaches. And this is something that, I underscored with Noah McHale, you know, D'Anton Lynn never went to Centennial High School. Uh, None of the USC coaches went to to Centennial High School and met with LaRue Zamorano. And that told me, okay, he must not be necessarily at the top of the list. However, um, you have that transition. Doug Belk is bouncing around and, and going to, I think, a lot of the high schools and the spots that he was familiar with. So he went back down to Georgia. He's originally from Georgia. Uh, and then he goes out to Texas because, you know, he'd been coaching at Houston for a while. So I think he was going to some of his you know more local haunts and did not really reach out much to Zamorano. But then when LaRue went up for his unofficial visit with California Power, they were able to sit down with him. And I think, you know, some of this is, again, just getting guys in front of you, getting to eyeball them and see them as prospects. They go, wow, LaRue Zamorano, you're like almost 6'3 here. Like you put on the tape and this kid can hit and can tackle. Um, I have sort of questions whether he's a cornerback or maybe he's a safety at the next level. But this kid's an athlete and he passes the eyeball test. I mean, he's 
another big, lanky, tall corner. And if you're feeling maybe not necessarily super optimistic about Dijon Lee, then you look at LaRouza Morano and you go, well, okay, you know, I mean, this is a pretty good-looking player here as well. We need to pick up our recruitment of him. And that's the vibe coming away from his unofficial visit that USC is going to make him a greater priority of a recruit. So that was another interesting thing that we learned about uh, the, basically the 2025 class uh, in that sort of uh, coming out of January going into February uh, period of recruiting. All right, Gerard, we didn't go three hours on this topic, but, you know, we could have, we, we flirted with it a little bit, not really, but it did take longer than I expected, but I don't know why I expected that. I, I Maybe it's just Russ from having a week off, but I moved some stuff down. We're actually going to take our break right now. So we come back, we'll get into the second half of our show. So we'll be right back after, not these messages, but this mariachi band. season of the original hit series mayor of kingstown my job is to create a balance avoid a war from executive producer taylor sheridan co-creator of yellowstone there's some new players in town and they brought the flag and antoine fuqua director of training day i know it's always been a war zone mike but this is next level the mayor is back in business are you warning me you're gonna find out mayor of kingstown new season streaming june 2nd exclusively on paramount plus from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher. No. Funnier. I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24 7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24 hour streaming channel serving non stop goals highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. And we're back. Gerard, how was your break? It was fantastic. Are we talking about the week off or we're just talking about the mariachi band? Uh, We're talking about both. Okay. Mariachi band was great. Okay. As always. As always, timeless and classic. Gerard, second half of our show, I'm actually going to bump one of our bigger topics to another episode. We were going to talk about uh, the needs of the 2025 class, but I think we're trending towards having a super long podcast, and we still have listener questions. So I'm actually going to save it for next week's podcast. We'll get more in detail there. If Only okay we with can it. have a, what, three, four-hour podcast during the recruiting dead period. We uh-huh. literally can find enough to have a full show and then some. And then some. And <laughs> People then are like, some. what is recruiting even being talked about right now? Your casual USC fan, if they just happen to come across 
this podcast. I'm like, this is a USC football podcast. Are they talking about spring ball? Are they going to preview spring ball and what they want to see from who the hell is Zaire Addison? What? That's a segue for you. That's a segue for you. We got a couple of uh, small, excuse me, small topics to tackle before we get to your 10 of Troy rankings, which I know people are always excited about. So you mentioned the name Zaire Addison, four-star offensive tackle out of Riverview, Florida, six foot, four and a half, 280 pounds, number 276 in the 24-7 sports composite, the number 26 offensive tackle in the 24-7 sports rankings. Part of Cali Power got offered kind of randomly out there. This is a guy who has been to campus before, and you have seen in person. It, person. It's an interesting offer. The timing is very interesting, but another four-star high-quality offensive tackle added to the 2025 recruiting board, Gerard. Yeah, interesting in terms of you kind of thought that USC could have offered him over the summer when he came and he camped at USC. Then he came back for an unofficial visit during the season. And you thought, okay, well, he probably doesn't leave campus without a scholarship offer now, but he did. And then offered him a scholarship kind of in the middle of nowhere, like right before the dead period. Now, I think perhaps the plan was to offer him a scholarship when California Power was on campus visiting because he does play for their five-on-five team, but he didn't make the tournament for Pylon because he was unofficially visiting Penn State. So the plan may have been, okay, this is the week that we're going to offer him a scholarship when he gets on campus, and then he didn't get to campus. And so it was like, oh, wait, we got to offer Xavier Addison. That's my speculation completely. Nobody's told me that. It's just one of those things that usually you want – to offer a kid like that in person after you've waited to offer him a scholarship. And I mean, having seen him play in person a couple times now, he's a guy that, I mean, you could definitely offer. Like I, I just, I'm surprised they didn't offer him during the summer. Like we always say scholarship offers just don't mean anything. It's kind of one of those things, get your foot in the door, make a good first impression. And they've seen him several times. He's a kid that comes over from the defensive side of the football and was like 245, 250 pounds going into his sophomore year and slowly but surely kind of matriculated himself over to the offensive side of the ball. He's got long arms. He's about 6'4", like 6'4 and a half, I think he's listed at. I mean, he's put on probably 20 more pounds now since last year, so he's a good 275, 280 pounds, and he's a good-looking player. He is probably one of, if not the best offensive lineman that California Power has at this point in time. I don't know if he's necessarily franchise left tackle type or he's a guy that can play right tackle, maybe on the interior a little bit. Like I said, he's got good athleticism. He played defensive line most of his high school career. Uh, Bloodlines with Chris Rogers, who's his uncle who lives out here, that actually played for Alabama during uh, some of their you know bigger years uh, with Nick Saban winning a national championship with Alabama. So he's been out here several times. He has connections out here. He's a kid that uh, USC has traction with already, has a good relationship with. We talked to him and asked him, you know, does the later offer sort of put USC behind it all? Do you have a little bit of questions as to, you know, why they weren't going to go on you earlier? He says no. He says, he says you know, he still loves uh, the, the the coaching staff. He loved his time out here uh, learning from the coaching staff, Josh Henson, when he was at the camp. 
And um, he thinks USC is definitely one of those schools that is going to be a favorite for him. Uh, he does potentially want to get back out here for another unofficial visit before he starts narrowing things down officially. So, you know, you're asking about him and maybe several other players that we didn't mention on the official visit list uh, right now projection or the guys that have stated, hey, I'm going to officially visit USC. Um, Addison is still at that point of he's trying to figure things out. I think you could put him maybe as a probably officially visits USC. He's been out here a lot. Um, I would like to see him unofficially visit and then that follow up with already a scholarship uh, offer in hand, you know, kind of get the vibe from him and his circle as to like how he's feeling about USC and, you know, whether there's other schools there that have maybe made ends and, and been able to uh, sort of capitalize on recruiting him a little harder earlier on. Um, but he is a guy that does have legitimate, sincere interest in USC as an offensive lineman. And, and like we said, offensive lineman that's sort of right now a little behind in terms of, you know, the guys that you're lining up for official visits, the kids that are already like on the hype train ready to, to hit L.A. in May and June. Um, but uh, definitely a kid that would be a big get for USC. Certainly would be a, a great uh, land for USC. Um, some of the other players even that we didn't talk about on that subject of prospects that could officially visit, you know, Myron Charles out of Port Charlotte, Florida, uh, a player who plays for California Power as a defensive tackle, 6'4", 285 pounds. Um, he says he's the number one defensive tackle on USC's board. That's what USC has said to him. He took his unofficial visit with California Power. I didn't get the vibe. He was super, super blown away by USC. Um, and I've talked to him before, and, you know, he has interest in USC. I asked him about an official visit, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some schools. There potentially could be, you know, so that's, a, that's another probable maybe. Uh, I mean, certainly USC is in the conversation but I get the sense that they're probably running third or fourth on his list with some other schools, maybe ahead, maybe like a Florida State, South Carolina, et cetera. Uh, I just got the vibe like, you know, one of the things that was interesting during that weekend for the California Power Kids talked a little bit about Marco Jones being down on campus like all day with his family. That was significant. Deuce Gerald, who's a 2026 uh, defensive lineman from uh, Savannah, Georgia, uh, by way of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a, a kid that you spoke to on the defensive line, Chris, who who was one of the best players, if not the best player, really, for California Power that weekend, um, plays all over the place, just a, a hulk of a defensive lineman, edge rusher, uh, very explosive. You know, he, instead of going to the basketball game, hang, hung back on the main campus to watch film with Sean Nua and Eric Henderson. And that just kind of gives you the vibe like he really, I mean, that's sincere interest in what they're doing defensively. That's sincere interest in getting a vibe for the coaches and how they want to coach. And, you know, that's a little bit of a preview as to who these guys are. You know, how do they talk to me as a kid, as a, as a recruit? How, how do I, you know, the chemistry? It's not just about, well, where are they lining me up? How do they want to use me? It's also just the conversation and, and being able to chill and get a vibe. And so, you know, he was one of the only guys that did that. Uh, some of the other kids like uh, Jeraylen McCoy, um, the other 2026 defensive lineman for California Power. He's from Mississippi, has a 
has a, a lot of interest in USC, doesn't have a scholarship offer yet. Um, you know, some of the other guys went to the basketball game. Marco Jones went to the basketball game. Some of the other guys didn't even do that. They just went back and they went to go eat. <laughs> and Myron, Myron Charles was one of those guys. He went to go eat. And so it was like, you know, wasn't really interested necessarily in doing more USC stuff at that point. And that kind of, you know, I'm trying to read it between the lines, you know, in terms of how sincere and how interested kids are. So that kind of gave me a little bit of a pause. Like, eh, you know, I don't know how much of an impact USC made here. But again, you know, if he says, you know, a couple of weeks from now, like, yeah, I'm going to officially visit uh, University of Southern California. He's going to be one of those kids where we have to differentiate University of Southern California and USC being South Carolina because USC South Carolina is very involved with them as well. But I can see where USC would get an official visit. Same thing with Chad Woodfork. You know, we just haven't really talked to him uh, after his visit to get a vibe of how serious he is about coming back out and uh, officially visiting USC. But those are two guys that we didn't mention in the prior segment that uh, are very much up for potentially being back on campus officially. I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, like USC is the, the lead school here or what have you. But, I mean, we're in February and USC has made inroads already. And again, just getting ahead of the game and trying to give yourself some 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 options here and, uh, you know, just just work it, you know, just get a feel. You're, you're still talking to these kids every week. Some of these kids you're going to talk to multiple times a week and you just get a vibe for them and you just know more as you get into spring uh, unofficial visits for spring practice and see who comes out on their own dime and, and hangs out with you and, and wants to see the team. And this is going to be the only opportunity if you're Eric Henderson, if you're Danton Lynn, if you're Matt Ince, uh, if you're Sean Nua, uh, if you're Doug Belt, to get those kids to see what you're doing in action from a defense. And that, you know, can 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 move the needle a little bit. I think that's going to be a big deal for Noah McHale, you know, getting him down. Uh, I think he'll be down for multiple uh, visits to USC. I mean, he's scheduled like, you know, his April 13th visit, which is that the spring game? I think that's a spring game, correct? Yeah, that's a spring game. Yeah. So that's just right before the May evaluation period starts, which is usually April 15th. And that's basically when you could start having transfers and you could start having uh, some of the uh, official visits that that come in um, all the way to the end of June. So I think with some of those kids that are looking for the development here and now, that's going to be the only opportunity to really kind of sell them on, hey, look at this is we move faster. We're doing things differently. We're practicing differently. Noah McHale would be able to see that. Noah McHale will see more practice than you, uh, me, Connor, Ryan, everybody on the beat combined. He's been down there to see actual practice, actual competitive periods at USC. And I'm dying for him to get down there so I can just I can talk to him because he's very articulate. He's a smart kid. He'll be able to see things. And even, you know, talking to some other people around him, what does it really look like? You know, is it really look different or does it kind of look the same? Is it just talk? And it's like, yeah, you know, they they practice the same. It, you know, they were competitive before and they tackled for a couple periods before. But, you know, it's not really totally different or is it legitimately different? Because a lot of kids on record are going to just they're going to talk about the energy. They're going to say things that they've that other kids in other classes have said about unofficially visiting USC and watching them practice. You, you never hear like, oh, they, yeah, they look kind of weak defensively and they didn't really tackle very much. It wasn't physical. No. What do you hear? 
you hear, oh, the, the coaches, I really like the energy levels. It's always about energy levels. Like, okay, energy's cool, you know, right? I mean, somebody had a Red Bull before practice. Tell me about how many times you saw somebody get tackled to the ground. Tell me about, you know, how many, how, how long those periods were. How many of those periods were there? How many one-on-one periods were there between the wide receivers and the defensive backs? And did they actually go at each other? you know, uh, sincerely, like it was a real competitive period, or was it just sort of a walkthrough? Like you want to know all those things. And, um, you know, unfortunately we can't see, or we haven't been able to have access to practice, but I mean, I know what it looks like from the Pete Carroll era. I know what it looks like from those years. Uh, but, um, you know, we haven't really seen that, uh, certainly in, in post years. And, you know, that kind of is one of those things where, Sometimes we have to just ask the recruits to try to get some type of idea of some type of picture as to what they're really doing in practice and how competitive it is. And that's one of the things that we talked about before Lincoln Riley hired a defensive coordinator. It was, listen, that's going to get you like 80% of the way there. You go out and you hire a really good staff, a good defensive coordinator, which I believe they have. I believe DeAntonin was a great hire for them. And I think they've done some really good things, some very interesting things with Matt Entz being a, a linebacker coach and Doug Belkin, guys that just have a lot of experience. They've been coordinators before. Uh, they they understand what it is to have decision-making power. And it's a different, definitely a different makeup from that standpoint from the prior staff. Um, but you ultimately, uh, from the head coaching standpoint, there's got to be a format. You know, there's got to be certain things that are a standard um, that you want to see from your practices, uh, from from how you do things. And so, you know, is that going to change? Like you need the offense to be able to have 11 on 11 periods. You need the offense to have nine on nine. Uh, you need the offense to, you know, be there in these contact periods and, and you know, run these drills uh, to have a high level of competitiveness in practices. And that's a, a, a big deal. And um, I apologize to, to Jay Colgate. I know he's listening right now and he hates when I go back to the Pete Carroll era. Uh, he says that we, we talk about Pete Carroll. I specifically mentioned Pete Carroll. But you know what? That was one of the greatest runs in USC football history. And you, know, you have to have something to compare with when you're talking about the, the highest levels. There's a lot of writers and analysts that have never seen championship football before. They, they don't know. I mean, how many years do you have to go back in Nebraska to say, well, you know, I've seen what it looks like up close. There's a lot of people at USC that never seen what it looks like up close, you know, guys that are part of the Sark staff. It's like, yeah, okay. That, that wasn't championship football, man. That, that was, uh, that was not, you know, at the highest levels of, of not just being there, but winning it all and winning it all uh, years consecutively and being at the top year in and year out for a decade, you know, there's something, there's things that come to the surface of the way, you know, the players handle themselves, the way practices are run. There's just a lot of stuff there that you pick up on. And so it's really the best way to be able to try to compare. And I realize we're in a, a different age of college football for sure. But I think football is football on some basic levels. And when you see those things, those sort of telltale signs of, okay, this is actually some change. 
you know, we're looking for that. We're always trying to look for that. And we always have to have some type of reference when we see it as to, you know, understanding of how impactful and how, how much of a, a significance those little things are. If you maybe were complaining about how I cut the needs part of the second half of the show, look no further than this opening topic that we had. We were talking about an offensive tackle that USC had just offered. And if you could just remember back to 10 seconds where Gerard ended, how did we get here? I don't know. I really don't know. That's one of the great mysteries of this show is that any topic can go in any direction at any point, And don't you ever fucking forget it. All right. Relax there, guy. Okay. Our Chill next out. topic. I our feel next attacked topic. now. Now I feel attacked. No, I our just, next I topic. Just like, I like to just point out when I no, you just like the curse is all you like to do. Okay. Let's just, let's just call it like it is. Right. You like to get a little spicy now and again, you like the people to know not to be too comfortable. Right. You just don't get too comfortable around Chris Trevino. Don't get too comfortable because Chris and Trevino might come out of nowhere. Don't you forget it. Our next topic is also on the topic of offensive line. And Gerard mentioned this name earlier in the show. And that is a recent transfer portal edition smu all-conference offensive tackle marcus bryant who entered as a grad transfer so he could enter at any point he doesn't need to wait until the spring window and it's a big big jump into the portal literally and from a recruiting standpoint marcus bryant is six foot eight 312 pounds was the starting left tackle for that very good Mustangs team, only allowed one sack last season over the course of their season. He is a very, very good offensive tackle, and he will be very, very sought after. There is mutual interest between both parties. USC, if were they were if they were to get Marcus Bryan, who is the here, who only has one year of eligibility left, he would be their plug-and-play left tackle. He would be their left tackle, no doubt about that. I guess maybe there would be some doubt about that, but I would be very shocked if he did not play left tackle for any program that ended up landing him, especially USC. So Marcus Bryant is a name to watch as we go throughout the spring. And because he's entered at such a weird time, he would have to wait until the summer to enroll at a school, correct? Correct. I mean, for USC, yeah, because yeah. it's a semester. And yes. quarter programs do have an advantage from that standpoint because, you know, you have breakups in what would be a semester and it's just a quarter. So you do have re-enrollments uh, into uh, certain classes and what have you. So that could be something interesting to watch. I don't know off the top of my head whether SMU is a quarter system or a semester system. So that might explain the timing of it. It is odd timing because it's kind of just before spring spring football starts you know for a lot of these schools and you would figure if there was any question about the coaching staff or the direction of the football program that he would want to just go through spring football to kind of feel himself out and see where you know he ends up on the back end but there's a lot of people in these kids ears these days and um it's one of those things that sometimes maybe you just want to put yourself out there and kind of test the waters of NIL and see uh, who's legit and who's not legit in terms of their offers of opportunities. And this is one of those situations where you've got an all conference player from a 
pretty good team from last year. And like Chris said, he would be penciled in as a potential starter at USC. You know, John Monheim is returning to USC, but we know that John Monheim, his greatest uh, asset is his versatility. You know, he's very flexible. He can play multiple positions and interior is probably his better position, if not right tackle. So this would be something that would free him up to potentially move um, if Marcus Bryant comes in and he was able to, you know, prove himself as being a legit left tackle. Um, so, yeah, as Chris said, mutual interest there uh, between he and USC. There's going to be um, he would uh, potentially visit in like April, late April. Uh, but with these type of high end transfers, you know, if they have agency representation, sometimes they take unofficial visits and like their official visits. You know, we saw that with Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams never took an official visit to USC. He was on the dime of uh, the sports agency that he was hooked up with. And so, you know, that can change the timeline of things. Uh, we're just going to have to see, um, you know, when and if he does end up on campus because, you know, we've seen USC go after some players. Again, going back to what we talked about with what we learned in that January evaluation period, there were like a handful of players that USC went after that they were trying to get on campus for official visits. And those kids end up going somewhere else for a visit. And with transfers, the big difference, they're more apt to commit at the first school that they see and they visit. They are not as apt to go through the process. And it's the last visit is the one that wins out. That in itself is an interesting study and why that is, you know, we can only speculate why that is, but that's, something over the past few years we've seen and we've kind of noticed the high school kids you want to be the last one to be able to get in their ear and talk to them and recruit them with these transfers i think these guys have just been kind of over the process even some of the kids that haven't really gone through the recruiting process now i can't remember marcus bryant as a recruit coming out of high school i don't believe usc was involved with him at all and, you know, maybe there was some interest or a camp or something he went to uh, at Oklahoma. I, I don't know, uh, quite frankly, um, you know, how far back he goes with uh, the former Oklahoma staff that's now at USC. You know, there's potential he went to a youth camp at Oklahoma or something of that nature. So he does have maybe some prior relationships or even, you know, with Texas A&M um, and Josh Henson. I just I don't know. But nevertheless, it's one of those things where you want to be able to be one of the first schools to get him on campus because he could turn around and commit immediately. Like I said, even the schools that are even the kids that are kind of new to like being a big time recruit. Silas Bolton is a three-star guy coming out of high school, coming out of Ranch Cucamonga. He wasn't a big time recruit. So I ended up at Oregon state. And so you would think, Oh, well, you know, he wants to enjoy the recruiting process second time around. He wants to get the red carpet treatment and get, you know, all of the the love that he didn't really get as a high school kid. Well, he turned around, he, he visited Texas first, and he commit, and he was done. That was it. Boom, bang. And that happens. Like, again, a lot of these kids that are transfers, that are the high-level guys, it's over before it starts. It's over before it starts. They already know what schools they want to visit. They already know who they have relationships with. And so, you know, we'll see. This, this is a little different because – it's not during a period of time where he can visit, you know, it's during a dead period. Right. So, you know, 
again, is the unofficial visit kind of become an official visit? And he actually gets somewhere in March and he's, and he's popping up at schools because, you know, he's got somebody that can kind of pay for that. Um, or does he wait until, you know, we get into May, uh, get into April. And then it's like, you know, whatever that first initial, these are my top five. These are the schools I'm going to visit. It's like, okay, whoever has that first visit date, you kind of hold your breath because that might be where he's headed. So we're going to see. We're going to see how it goes. It's um, uh, certainly, you know, not a player that was a, a high level recruit where, you know, there was a second place school, you know, and, um, you know, everybody sort of assumes, like, okay, well, you know, he was looking at this school and that school before he ended up at this other school. So they're automatically involved. Um, we'll just see you know, how this all sort of plays out. But certainly that's the portal for you. You know, if you uh, miss out on a top player one week, you just wait a little bit. You know, there could be another guy coming down the pike. And the second window, it could get juicy. It could get spicy. There could be some major players uh, that end up, uh, again, I mentioned Bear Alexander, uh, Eric Gentry, Jordan Addison. There's been some very good players that ended up in the second portal window that um, were very big impact player for USC that season. The final note before we get to your 10 of Troy is a topic that you put on here that I didn't think that was very significant, but I think you wanted to comment on it, is that Texas A&M defensive tackle transfer and new USC defensive lineman Isaiah Rakes will be wearing number two for the upcoming season. I'm assuming because it's hilarious to imagine a nose tackle wearing a single digit number. Man, you got to call me out like that. <laughs> I was just kind of brainstorming and uh, threw this on here because you tweeted it. And I thought to myself, you know, that's a real old school, new school thing is, uh, you know, defensive alignment, interior defensive alignment, a nose tackle, nonetheless, in this respect, wearing a single digit number. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I don't, I don't care. But it, it is a little strange sometimes seeing uh, a defensive tackle wearing like number zero. Um, what do you think, do you think, think that about? was a? Do you think that was? Do you think that was promised to him? No, he wasn't wearing number two at Texas A and M. So well, I don't, he was wearing number two in high school. I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember what number he was wearing out of high school, but I think it's. It's always a subject of discussion when it comes to numbers, especially at a school like USC, where you've got some very legendary hollowed numbers like 55 and certainly all the numbers that are retired because of the Heisman Trophy winners. What do you think about the promising of numbers? Because it does segue into that conversation of should players be allotted certain numbers before they get on campus? Like, you know, I've never seen it done, and maybe it's not practical. I've never seen a coaching staff say nobody's got numbers in spring ball. We're not. We're, nope. We're going to go out there, and either everybody's going to have the number zero, or we're just going to go out there without numbers, and we'll just have jerseys, and we'll have no numbers on those jerseys. You don't get a number until you prove that you are that number, and whatever number that you want, you know, you write it down. Like, okay. You write down the, the numbers that you want, write down five numbers that you want, and your play will be dictated by those numbers. Or are you just creating more drama 
by doing something like that instead of just handing out numbers. I've always been of the opinion that you should never promise uh, a number that is a hollowed, a significant number traditionally before a kid gets on campus and actually plays. You should never say, Lamar Dawson, we're going to give you number 55 if you commit to USC. That should never be a conversation in the recruiting trail. Now, you say, listen, we think you can play to that level and you can be that guy, but you got to come in and prove it. And then we'll give you that number. That's more where I would stand with that. Um, but it is used as a recruiting tool. And I just I, I, I wonder, because you're such a millennial and everything that you do, what your mindset of such a thing would be. I I see it from both sides. I don't genuinely have an issue with numbers being used on the recruiting trail. Not but guaranteed. But, but guaranteed. Not, no, no, no. I, I would never. I would never want a guaranteed number. I don't think that's good. I think you can use it how you just said you can use it. Like we see the potential for you to wear one of these hollowed numbers, especially a, you know, a tired number, you know, look at, we're looking at Jordan Addison, who, uh, I'm blanking on it. Was it 13? Was it that the number? No, no, it wasn't 13. No, number three, number three, you know, that was his number in high school. That was the number he became a star with at Pittsburgh. And obviously that is a retired number. And, you know, Carson Palmer gave his blessing to rock the number three you know that's his number it's also jordan addison's number from you know his football career so that was probably a discussion on the recruiting trail and that's that's an interesting sort of wild card specific situation because you could argue well jordan addison had proven that he deserved that number right he is a he is a proven commodity he is done enough to where you can have that discussion about you. But if he, if Jordan Addison was transferring in as like a registered freshman that I don't know, caught 20 passes and uh, 300 yards and four touchdowns as a freshman, like and he wore three at Pittsburgh, which was like, okay, it's just a random number at Pittsburgh. Like, no, we're not having that discussion, but it was literally the Blitnikoff winner. Like you have to play yourself into a certain stratosphere and have that respect as a player to you know be considered for these you know legendary iconic numbers now two isn't a a retired number but it is a pretty substantial number in usc history with you know a dory jackson steve smith robert woods taylor mays some pretty damn good number twos have come through USC with that with that number. So Ramello Isaiah Height. Rakes, uh, what? Romello Height. Romello Height. Sure. Uh, it's not you know a number three. It's ahead of number three, but it's not uh, has the same stature as a retired number three, a Heisman winner. So I'm I'm not I don't have a problem with numbers being sort of used. I don't think it should ever be promised. But and I'm not, also and, on the and same. To, and to be clear, folks, I mean, we're not saying anybody promised it to, to no. Isaiah Riggs. It was just really more the, the question of, OK, he's, he's wearing number two. I know that's sort of a, a boomer versus Zoomer thing where, 
you know, there's a lot of guys that like, you know, you grew up watching football and, you know, there were no number zeros and it's like number zero, you know, why would you want to be number zero? That means you're nothing. And it's like, no, the kids don't look at it that way. It means I came uh, from nothing. Gerard, it means I came from nothing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just looked at differently by the kids. And then, you know, with the NFL now, they've gone to more of a college type of uh, system with numbers where you've got single digits out there, you know, playing different positions where you it used to be. And I don't really know why this changed other than maybe just merchandising purposes, but you know, they used to have like you couldn't be a single digit number to be wide receiver. You had to be in the 80s. You know, you had to wear 50s as a, as a linebacker. Like growing up when I watched NFL football, you did not have anybody who was number three <laughs> playing outside linebacker in the NFL. It was always the 50s. And, uh, you know, running backs were always in the 20s and 30s. And, and so now that's totally changed at the NFL level. And it's, you know, changed at the point where you know, college, it's always like even more of an extreme. And so, you know, a number that has always been looked at as a skill number. Uh, now, you know, going to be max smack dab in the middle of the defense. Um, you know, it's going to be a it's going to be a, a, a tiny number on a big man. <laughs> tiny number. Uh, what is it? Fat guy in a little coat. Fat guy in a, a little number. Fat guy in a little number. Um, yeah, but I'm also, you know, I remember when it was like the older guys got the first pick of their numbers and then well, whatever was left over for the new guys or the you know, junior varsity guys coming up. That's what the number you got. And then as you got older and you became a senior, you, you got first dibs to change your number. But I know also some people don't really care about numbers. They're just numbers. And whatever. I don't know anybody that I played with or grew up with in sports that didn't care about their number. Honestly, everybody had, we did it in high school. Like when we were freshmen, yeah, I mean, that that's, that's how it goes. Like in terms of seniority, but when we were coming in as freshmen, I remember that we had it was by the amount of weight training and off-season conditioning uh, workouts we made. So it's performance-based. So like yeah, it was like it's how like many did you did you like if you made every one of them, then you got front of the line. If you only you know if you only made like half of them, then you know it, that's how it basically was. And so and, and what was Hurricane's number? Just for uh, I was twenty-five and forty. 25 early okay, on why did you pick like, those things or numbers 25 i don't i don't know i like i just like 25 uh rakim ishmael was 25 i know that's going to get lots of boots from trojan fans because he's a <laughs> domer but nevertheless i remember like that was like one of the first college football moments that i remember in my formative years was watching with a friend of mine the end of the notre dame colorado game and just like with Washington State and USC, they punted, I believe, or maybe it was the following kickoff. I'm vague. It was a long time ago. And it was like, don't kick to this guy. Like, what do you don't kick to this guy? It's just the same thing with Washington State punting the Red Jews. Don't don't punt to him. Dude, you're winning the game. Don't punt to him. Don't that's don't do that. Of all the things you could do, and Rocky Bishmao. And Colorado was was humming at that time. They were a very good program. He ran it back for a touchdown. They won the game. I was like, oh, my God. And it was like one of those things like I had heard about this guy named Rocky Bishmau and, and like he was the real deal. And then you saw a clutch moment where he actually was the real deal. And you're like, holy crap, it's real. This dude's real. And so that was like one of the first I remember, you know, watching college football. And so probably that was maybe it. I I, I don't know if that was my first number that I wanted, but that was – I was at the top of the line. And you were a defensive was, lineman at 25? 
No, no, no. As a linebacker, and then as a mm, wing back okay. as well. So kind of a quasi running back uh, wide receiver. And then when I played more just on the defensive side of the ball, I ended up being 40. Uh, one, one of the guys that I knew that was playing linebacker ahead of me in good teams was, was 40. And I was just like, yeah, I'll be number 40. That's a, still a number that can go both ways in case – you know, I, I end up playing wing back or running back again, sort of thing. So I, I was always conscious of that. I didn't want to be like number fifty-two. Did they this. call you forty ounce? No, they didn't. Oh, okay. They didn't. They, they didn't call me Hurricane at that point either. The legend <laughs> of was, Hurricane wasn't. The a, legend of Hurricane. The, the Hurricane had come and gone. It gone on shore. Became low at that point. <laughs> low. It came a low, yes. That's, That's what happens to hurricanes after they they go on shore. They just become a low. I didn't know and, that. Yes. Look at that. Look at that uh, weather weather talk. You thought you were the meteorologist of us, No, right? I, I never thought I was the meteorologist. You did. Remember? That was the early days of the podcast when it was the the, the Trevino Tech. Uh, and Sabino, it went from Sabino Sabino Tech is still Washington. running strong in this, on this. Uh, that bit is still holding strong. <laughs> it's still I, strong. But I, does I, it have a T-shirt? If it doesn't have a T-shirt, it isn't that strong now, is it? Look, at Trevino Tech, doesn't matter. We'll give you triple digits if you want. You could be 102. You could be 102. You could be double zero. You could be zero one zero. We could do like binary, you know, whatever. Binary? Whatever, oh, whatever you whatever you want <laughs> at Tribunal Tech. Now we're making political we'll statements, Chris. I think uh, Oregon at this point is going to have to go to triple digit numbers, right? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> They've got so many dudes that they're bringing in that uh, they're going to have to have somebody running a 102. If you gave a college kid an opportunity to wear a triple digit number, it, they would fight over that because it's just a unique thing and nobody. It would look before. so stupid though. Yeah, but so did 91 on Dennis Rodman, but he knew it looked weird and looked odd. It's like a, a basketball 91. So that's why he did it. Yeah, I, I just, but it's still like two numbers. Like you're adding a whole nother number to a jersey. I just, I just, I don't, I don't like that. I don't think that'll. Ever. I mean, do you I don't think, think that ever be a zero is again? It goes back to the conversation of how much emphasis do you put in a number? You know, I'm okay with zero. I'm okay with zero. It represents the number of uh, the number of people that believed in me. Knee pads or no knee pads? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get out of the zoomer, <laughs> doomer, boomer talk and get into the ten of Troy. Let's segue with a strong finish. Because this one, this one could be a long one. Oh, oh, buddy. Well, I'm gonna burst your bubble. I don't want you to do the entire ten of Troy. I burst in my a, bubble. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a VIP piece. I don't want you to do the whole thing. I just don't want you to do it. I have to pull you back a little bit. I have to shut down the kitchen a little bit. How long was I that have, piece? That that dang thing. Took me all day to write. It ended up being like three thousand words, I think. It yeah. was bigger than a war room. <laughs> bigger than uh, Justice Terry. It was a big. It was a big piece. So I don't want you to give it all away on the free podcast. But can you, okay, succinctly describe what the Ten of Troy is? And maybe I'll try to throw it out. It's the 10 most hyped, talked about prospects that the Paris style loves. Not the highest rated, but 
but just like the ones that have the most buzz from the pair style, like I don't want to say fan favorites, but like the ones they are all dreaming of. I, I, I'm I'm not doing it justice, but no, I, you started I, off right. You you kind yes, of and then I and then off. I and then I buried myself and then I just, yeah, into kind of repeating yourself. But no, you you opened up with it's the players which these storylines are developing and Trojan fans are talking about the most. It's also based on need. It's also based on players that USC has a legitimate shot at. So we're not just throwing names out here that might come up on the peristyle. It's a group of players that is sort of the core of the conversation right now. And if everything goes well for USC in the recruiting trail, it's the players that you're going to be talking about at this time, you know, next year going into spring ball and how everybody's so hyped up about this incoming class and what kind of impact it's going to make in USC second season in the big 10. So that, that, that's part of it. It's certainly, um, there's some wishful thinking in there as, as well as some legitimate conversation about players that can make a big impact at USC. And the buzz is always created by either interviews it's created by, uh, you know, visits that have just been made to USC. So, you know, those players are on the minds of the recruit Knicks. And this is really for the hardcore folks. This is the people that follow recruiting, talk about recruiting. And even at this time of the year, which I would say 90% of the fan base are, again, if they stumbled upon this podcast, they have no idea. How, most of the players we're talking about probably just, turned it off because they're just like, I don't know why I should even care at this point in time. Let me know when they're on campus. Let me know when they're sacking the quarterback for USC. Let me know when they're catching touchdowns. That's who I'm rooting for, not this plausible, possible recruiting class that USC might have. However, there are those, we're going to call them elite, those elite recruit Knicks out there that follow the recruiting process not just year-round, but hourly. <laughs> They're refreshing yeah. in the dead period going, Gerard, what's the latest with Marcus Bryant, the transfer from SMU? Is he going to officially visit? Tell me now. I need to hear a yes so I can go to sleep at night. There are those few, uh, and that's more of what the tenor Troy is, and that's more of what the tenor Troy is developed even from. Um, I have to kind of gate it to a certain extent of guys, again, that I look at and say, okay, this player might be unofficially visiting or officially visiting USC. So I have to give USC some sort of chance at being able to land these recruits, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that. I want to talk about a few of them. I don't want to talk about all of them. Okay. So I'm just going to okay. pick some, some random ones. I will let you filter and sort of, um, you know, gate who we talk about and who we yeah. don't. And then the I'm other gonna guys, we're going to scramble just like the old days of HBO. You're just only going to see squiggly lines. Yeah, only swiggly lines. The first one is the kind of the first name that jumped out to me because we actually had a, a just, you know, peek behind the curtain. We had a little discussion about does this person get on? You wanted a little help. You want a little opinion from yes, old 10K. Exactly. Should this person be on as comp uh, comp uh, opposed to this other prospect, which you can, I guess, bring up because we do have some omissions on here that guys that just missed the cut. And I guess these two can be talked about in the same vein as, you know, this guy bumped the other one off. But Douglas Utu, the offensive tackle from Bishop Gorman, and 
he bumped Andrew Marsh off this list. And, you know, we kind of went a little bit back and forth and I gave my thoughts on Douglas getting on there. I, that was my opinion that Douglas Utu should be on there. And I just went with the premium position. And if you put this on the board, like who would you rather take like nine out of 10 on the pair style? They're taking Douglas Utu. Like I just have to believe it. I would bet my whole paycheck on it. An elite offensive tackle. You know, he's not top 50, but he's top 100. He would be the highest rated offensive tackle USC signed since Austin Jackson. And that would be a big deal. And I'm, I'm comparing, I'm, Pairing that with the fact that he is a West Coast kid out of Nevada, and I'm pairing that with he's out of Bishop Gorman, which a lot of the parasol has turned to as being, we need this pipeline. Forget about modern day. Forget about Bosco. I mean, don't actually forget about them. But Bishop Gorman is where we need to be setting up shop, is where we need to be putting a lot of recruiting resources because they got a lot of really good players coming out of Bishop Gorman. So that's what led me to giving my vote for a Douglas Utu over an Andrew Marsh, who, you know, is a higher rated prospect, elite wide receiver, but I just got to go with the trench guy. Well, you just explained why Douglas Utu made the list. <laughs> and yeah, ended up, I was just, I was sharing my pitch. And it was good. I mean, I kind of was playing devil's advocate because I know sure. that Andrew Morris is a, Sit a little earlier, kind of at the top of the list for USC in terms of wide receivers. You kind of get the vibe. Maybe he's the Draylon Miller of this recruiting class, a guy that USC sees as a big-time playmaker. And wide receiver is a need for USC now. And it's not just about we need to go get the best players. You've got to get a few of them. They've really been hurt by the transfer portal. They've lost some depth as well as they don't have a ton of big time playmakers behind that freshman class uh, that, uh, you know, is kind of, we're trying to figure out like how that's going to play out with Deuce Robinson. Is he going to stay as a wide receiver? Uh, You know, Jacoby Lane, that looks like that's going to be a good pickup Uh, with uh, Makai Lemon. He's played both sides of the ball. We think that he's going to stay on the offensive side of the ball, but he has played some cornerback. So you would you would definitely like to have some more playmakers around those guys. And even, you know, with a transfer, uh, having some seniority there, that would be one of the top guys would be uh, very good as well. But I think, you know, as you stated eloquently, Douglas Utu, the only offensive lineman on the list, which, again, tells you sort of, I mean, going towards buzz. You know, he gets in there because a lot of Trojan fans are cognizant of Bishop Gorman, uh, the the play. I mean, Bishop Gorman won a national championship last year. Bishop Gorman carpool. And Legendary meme. Some good players that have come from Bishop Gorman that are at USC now. Zachariah uh, Branch, um, Zion Branch. I've heard of him. Zachariah Branch was big for USC last year. We talk about playmakers. So certainly I think the fan base feels like, okay, we haven't done especially well at modern day. We haven't done well at all at St. John Bosco. That's still a regional school. It's still nearby. We need to treat it as if it is just a suburb of Southern California. And we have to be able to get in there and lock up some of these players. And Oh, by the way, this particular player is at a position of need and a position, which, you know, if you want top guys, which again, USC, 
top guys, they've really kind of gone into, you know, we can get some guys that are lower down on the list maybe and still get more out of them. There's, I think, more confidence in development of finding the right players regardless of what they're ranked. But certainly out of the gates, Delgasutu is one of the top-rated players, so he's going to be somebody that the fan base already gravitates towards. I would say USC was a little late in recruiting him. You know, they weren't out there uh, early on him. But unlike some of the other players at uh, Bishop Gorman right now, I think he's the one guy that grew up a Trojan fan, and he has more awareness and interest in USC uh, at the start of his recruitment than some of these other players. So he's always been a guy that you knew if USC recruited him hard, he would be a player that would potentially be on campus for an official visit, and USC would have a good shot at him. Now, he hasn't been to USC unofficially lately, so we don't know where they stand among other schools, you know, in terms of getting a vibe like, okay, they're probably top two with another school or they're at the top of the list. I can't really say with any amount of confidence like where USC fits among his favorite schools, but I think they are among his favorite schools. You know, I think that locally you're going to have Oregon there. Uh, Utah is going to be involved with him. And then there's just going to be, okay, what's the national school that he unofficially visits to that wows him, that becomes the other school that people talk about in his recruitment? Is it going to be Michigan? Is it going to be Alabama because he has a relationship with the old Washington staff? Is it going to be like Tennessee or somebody? You know, We're just kind of waiting to see You know, as he goes out and he takes some unofficial visits during the spring, what school that's going to be. But USC is going to be there. Utah is going to be there. Oregon's going to be there. Uh, we'll just see, you know, in terms of uh, whether USC wants to really push and make him a guy or as the past classes, we've seen them kind of go a little further into the weeds, you know, for some of these players, guys like Alani Noah or Amos Talalele, which were just regional players that you know weren't national names necessarily, but guys they liked and they took and they ended up being very good players for them. The next guy I wanted to throw out there is... Jared Smith, who's obviously a big-time edge rusher out of Alabama, who we have mentioned before, took that unofficial visit to USC, number 10 player in the country in the 24-7 sports rankings, number one edge prospect, and six foot six, 230 pounds, really long. And it just goes back to me with Eric Henderson – and all the momentum he has built up so far early here, all that energy that exudes off him, the resume, just being a guy from the South who is confident in his ability, has, as I mentioned, a resume that no other college coach has, you know, having been to the NFL, having coached Aaron Donald, that I feel like regardless of what happens, USC is going to be able to – they're going to land at least one significant defensive line front player because of him. And Jared Smith could be that guy. Obviously, plenty of competition for him. But he loves Eric Henderson and is going to take a visit, an official visit. And he's on this list, and he's a very talented player. And I just, I'm just saying, like, I just feel, I don't know how you feel about 
what results Eric Henderson could have this this cycle, but I just feel like they're going to get one. They're going to get one really good defensive lineman that's going to open up some eyes, if you will. And I'm just saying, and I this is a name I just gravitated on your top, your 10 of Troy, and that's Jared Smith. Well, Jared Smith, interestingly, is an edge rusher. So technically, while he is being recruited by Eric Henderson, he's also being recruited by Sean Nua. So he is of that group of kids that have talked about taking an official visit to USC, not in the interior. And there are other options on the edge. And so I wouldn't necessarily, if I was to bet or, you know, like put a gun in my head, it's like, you got to make a crystal ball on all these guys that you've talked about that stated they're going to officially visit USC. They probably might officially visit USC or with an unofficial visit, USC could get that traction where they could secure a follow-up official visit. I don't know that Jared Smith would be that guy. Now he is higher on the list mainly because there's just a lot of buzz about him. And the fact that he came out not with a squad, a travel team, he came out with his parents and he came out kind of for himself. And so there is that, well, look at Cameron Fountain and USC was able to make that connection and they were able to land him despite Auburn, South Carolina, Florida State, all making a run at him and him committing early and staying committed. And you, you know, through that season and through that abysmal defense that USC had, it's like, how do you hang on to that kid? You know, how do you hang on to that kid and not land some other kids? You know, there's it, it definitely a bit of a mystery there. I think at the most we understand uh, just from watching Twitter and X uh, that his mom bought into USC early on and his mom uh, really liked from a educational academic standpoint, what USC had to offer and the opportunities there. They had a really good relationship with Roy Manning, which we thought that might be a reason why Roy Manning would be brought back on the staff and retained because he was the one guy that really had uh, recruited well the past two cycles, uh, definitely better than anybody else in the defensive side of the ball. And so Roy Manning's gone, but Eric Henderson has obviously made some very you know, good first impressions with these kids and the families and they're, you know, coming back. And, you know, if Eric Henderson is, let's say the T Martin of defensive line recruits, then, you know, USC is going to be involved and have a chance at a lot of really good players, but there's still that reality of history. And, you know, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. USC's just never really been able to have inroads in the SEC and consistently grab top end defensive linemen. It just has never happened. Not with Ed Ergeron, not with Jethro Franklin, not with Nick Holt, not with, of course, I'm hearing from the recruit Nick side of the fan base, but those guys weren't Eric Henderson. And those guys, you know, weren't from the South, those guys. Uh, did coach in the NFL, coach, you know, one of the most dominant defensive players in the NFL, and then come to USC with that resume and then trying to recruit. And that's absolutely true. So we don't know what that brings to the table. We can be optimistic and say, hey, man, that's huge. And that's why they're going to get 
Justice Terry. They're going to flip him away from Georgia. They're going to convince him that, hey, man, Georgia's got lots of great defensive linemen. Come be like Bear Alexander. Be the guy that changes this defensive line, that you can come here and make a greater impact in the big city. And once you make that impact here, you know, that's going to be huge for you. And you're going to have more opportunities here uh, because of that. You know, maybe he's able to sell that. You know, maybe there's another guy on that list uh, that he sells with that. But I think with Jared Smith, because he came out here on his own five star the fan base just really, I mean, they're buzzing about that. And the fact that he says, you know, after that unofficial visit, yeah, I want to come back again for an official visit. And certainly off the heels of being able to let, excuse me, Cameron Fountain, there's maybe more confidence with Jared Smith than some of the other players. Certainly he is being the most talked about, and that's why he he sort of rises to the list above some other players. And that is not to say that USC has so much better of a shot with him, but I do think that the shot is, at least at this point in time, fairly legitimate. They have a legitimate shot at him. All right, Gerard, I picked two. I'll let you pick the last one that you want to mention on this list. I think that's only fair. Okay. (laughs) Well, uh, we won't go for number one because that would be maybe giving up too much, but we'll go to number 10. We'll go to the last guy on the list to follow up with what I was saying about Jared Smith Justice Terry uh, makes the list because he says, or his dad actually said first, that we're going to take an official visit to USC after talking and meeting with Eric Henderson. And so, you know, that shows you the product of the recruitment. I mean, you are getting the report from the recruits and their parents themselves. They like what they're hearing from Eric Henderson. They like how he handles himself, because I think that is also something in terms of confidence and just relating. And we've heard from several defensive line recruits that Eric Henderson keeps it real. That's been something repeated on a few different occasions from a few different players uh, that are you know talking to him at various different times, various different visits. And I think it's just, you know, his his background, his past. What he's been through, he has a very interesting story, and I'm not going to get into all that here, but I think he can relate to life very well with some of these kids. And I think also, and this is the trump card that I've talked about a lot, even with DeAnton Lynn, and when you're pitting USC up against an Oregon, you've got guys that have been at the NFL level. And when you've coached pros and you've been there and you've seen that, that is something on your resume that it gives you an edge over those college coaches because you can talk all you want about, I was at Georgia and I was the coordinator and we won a championship and this, that, and the other. And it's different to say I coached an all pro player. I have been there and I've seen several of them and I've won a super bowl. Like I've been where you want to get ultimately. I'm not where you'd like to, you know, have a couple years of good football and a good college experience, I was at the place where that's the end game. And so I think that's something that has resonated with having Justice Terry on the list specifically. You could fill in that with several other players. You really could because, again, I think Eric Henderson has made an impact with a handful of those guys. And so you could put that, you know, you could put Kevin Wind in there. You could put – 
you know, maybe Dylan Battle. You could put a lot of players that he's made that kind of impression. And again, is it, you know, the five-star guy that USD has to, to, to land? Is this all just hype? I mean, they get Dylan Battle. Dylan Battle's not even ranked right now by 24-7, uh, at least from a composite standpoint. But is a guy that, you know, shows up well in film, and he's got a bunch of scholarship offers. He was actually offered a scholarship by Sean Nua uh, last year. I think it was at the end of summer. And so he's actually been recruited by USC before Eric Henderson went there. But Eric Henderson watched his film and decided, I'm going to go down. I'm going to go check this kid out. And by the way, Sean Nua, also a guy that played in the NFL. So, I mean, you've got that kind of experience with all these coaches on the defensive side of the ball. And it resonates with these kids because we constantly hear that's the end game for them. That's what they really want. They're not really most of the top end kids talking about academics. And I know that just uh, hurts the the hearts of Trojan fans and everybody is, you know, very, uh, they want to hear about the academic prestige being the reason that they come to better their lives. And these kids are football players and they're young and, and a lot of them are immature and they want to get to the NFL. That is their dream. Their dream is not to be, uh, a business major and, and you run your own, they, they say these things, but they don't know what, why they want to be in business. I want to be in business because you make a lot of money in business, quote unquote, Marin, Myron Charles, you know? Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you have like a family member that runs their own business, or, you know, there's some reason there that you would say, Oh, I have this interest in doing this. I have this interest in developing this specific software. So I want to become uh, a, a electrical engineer or I have, you know, there's something you go, okay, there's a passion there behind that and an interest, but most of these kids are passion is football. So what do they do want to do from a career standpoint? They want to be professional football players and they want to go to the school that is going to develop them to get them to that point. So when you're talking about people that have done it and they've been at that highest level and they've not only developed guys to get to that level, but they've developed guys at that level that's a big deal for them. And so Justice Terry is just, uh, I think it's emblematic of what USC is doing on the recruiting trail and moving the needle. And again, are they going to land him specifically? Probably not. I wouldn't bet money on it. Not right now. But at some point, it's like they're going to get one of these guys. And even if it's not, you know, they get the, the the Justice Terry, you get a couple four-star guys out of Georgia. We get a four-star guy out of, out of Texas. I mean, look, at they got Carlton Jones at the end of the 24 cycle. That was a big get for them. Carlton Jones looks really good on film. He jumped up the rankings over his senior season because of his senior film. Bay City, Texas, 6'4", 285 pounds, like a real legitimate interior defensive lineman. That's a big deal for USC, and that's some of the kind of what resonates from bringing in uh, an Eric Henderson on the recruiting trail. And now he, you know, he kind of came in even before Eric Henderson because he was on his official visit. He was being uh, hosted by Sean Nua, but you knew that USC was already kind of winking and nodding about guys that they might be bringing in, what have you. And certainly that solidified things. And so. You know, those type of players, I mean, Carlin Jones was not a guy that we were talking about at this point last year. Not at all. We were talking about him over the summer. But still, you're able to get him later in the year, and he is a good get. Like, you get guys like Dejan Lafitte. You get guys like Carlin Jones. Those are the guys that you see 
when you watch these teams playing in the college football playoff. Those are the type of players that you want to see on your defensive front line. So even if you're not getting the top creme de la creme of these kids that might be taking official visits, even if your second tier uh, is is the guys that you're actually got a good shot at and you land a couple of those guys, you know, you bring in, like I said, five or six of them and you get two of them. That is a huge W for USC. I mean, that's really where you you start to move the program ahead on the defensive side of the ball, getting some of these players. You don't have to land the number one guy or the number one two guy. You can land the number 16 guy, and he's still going to be a hell of a lot better than some of the guys you've been landing. Gerard, before we move on to listener questions, do you want to note any of the omissions from the list? Well, we talked a little bit about a few of them, guys like Myron Charles, uh, Chuck McDonald. Nasir Wyatt is an interesting conversation as a recruit, whether he would be on that list or not. Because from a buzz standpoint, you could say he should be on the list because he's talked about quite a bit. And when the crystal balls went in for Oregon, he was talked about a lot. The question is, does USC have a legitimate shot at landing him right now it doesn't feel like it it feels like he's just kind of moved on and maybe there's a bit of that Aylan Breland where it's just at a point where yeah USC is the hometown school it's always the hometown school I'm always going to consider it you could say this about Jordan Davidson as well but at the end of the day it's like okay how come you don't really ever visit USC and it just doesn't feel like in the background with people around you, anybody thinks that you're seriously looking at USC. I would also say Nasir Wyatt in terms of his fit for USC is a bit of a question mark. Like you got to take him off the line of scrimmage and he's got to play more of a linebacker type position. And he hasn't really done that at modern day. Not to say he can't do that, but it's always harder to move guys back than to move guys up athletically. Um, so that's, you know, one guy that you could mention on there. Jordan Davidson. Yeah, you could, you know, mention him too. the running back out of modern day, uh, two of modern day's top most productive players. Not on that list. Again, Chuck McDonald is, but Chuck McDonald isn't talked about a lot. There's not a lot of buzz about him right now in USC. Um, the fans, to some extent, get enamored with the out-of-state recruits. The grass is always greener on the other side. And certainly when we're talking about defensive linemen, and, and USC is doing well, and there's some movement there with some of these defensive linemen. That's where the conversation is going to be directed, and that's sort of where everybody's going to focus on at this point in time, um, you know, until USC starts missing guys, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, 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 the narrative will change, and then it'll become very negative, and people will be on the ledge with, you know, sleeping pills and a toaster wrapped around their next that's just the way it goes in in recruiting you know it's very sort of uh, emotional people get emotionally invested in these storylines and um it's either great and oh my god we're landing everybody we're going to be national championship team 10 years in a row or oh my god we suck we're terrible we should stop playing football and we should just uh you know go play intramurals i I, it's like one or the other it's a very (laughs) the intramurals intramurals brother intramurals (laughs) Gerard, we have reached that point. We are well into three hours of this show. I do want to do a couple listener questions. I thank God that I didn't do the whole 10 of Troy. And I also thank God I decided to bump the needs 
until next week's show. But let's do a couple questions. I'm going to give ourselves at least 30 minutes. Let's see how many we can do. Just a reminder, if you want to email us a question, shoot it over at podcast.uspeople.com. Just make sure you put the composite, two-star recruits, Chris and Gerard, Slauncha Boys, 10K, Hurricane, whatever, and it'll go to my inbox, and then I can put it on this show. Gerard, question from Jeremy. Who are the top three guys in the 2024 class with the best odds to either play their way into the starting rotation by the end of their freshman, uh, sorry, best odds to earn their way into the starting rotation by the end of their freshman season? I apologize. I got that question partially confused, but what three guys have the best odds to play their way into a starting role? I'm going to be completely honest. I initially read this as into the rotation, not the starting rotation. I don't think, I'm going to be honest, I don't think a lot of these guys have a great shot of being, you know, in the starting rotation. But if I had to pick three, I think I would do DJ Jordan just because they need wide receiver depth. He's early enrollee. Actually, all my guys are early enrollee. Cameron Fountain, just because of his talent level and the fact that he is an early enrollee as well. And then I guess Marcellus Williams. I know they brought in some veteran guys, but I really like Marcellus. And maybe there's a way for him to get on the field, not at cornerback. Maybe a little a little nickel. So those would be my my three picks, even though I don't think any of them is like a super, super high chance to crack the starting rotation. Yeah. Starting rotation is vague. Uh, There's not really a starting rotation at the center position. And uh, Jason Zandamello was the highest rated freshman incoming freshman in this class. So uh, there's some positions where you can rotate. So there's a little more flexibility there in terms of whether you're starting rotation or you're not starting rotation. Um, I think, think I agree with you with Marcellus Williams, USC. They don't have a lot of marquee cornerback talent. They went from being really kind of stacked in the defensive secondary, not producing at that level whatsoever, having talent, but not really producing. And now they've lost some of those players to transfer. They've lost some of those players to graduation and they don't have the depth that they once had. So I do think Marcellus Williams if he's anything like his brother who did start as a freshman for USC um, with a little more athleticism, I think he's going to be on the field. I think he's going to play and uh, not necessarily a marquee type of ISO uh, field side cornerback, but you know, a guy that's physical enough. Um, I think there's just a, a disposition that Max had as a player. He was just a good football player and I think that runs in the family. Uh, so I think that with Marcellus, that's a player that potentially uh, you get in the starting rotation. So, again, position-wise, you know, he could be at nickel. He could be a corner. Um, you can move guys in there, and you could play five, six defensive backs, and he can be on the field at, at some point, right? Um, you know, Cameron Fountain is interesting because he's very raw. He is one of the – best looking players that they have in this class. Certainly, you know, when you trot out your freshman class, 
he's one of those guys that stands out right away. I mean, he's 6'6", legit, 245 pounds. And he's at a position which, again, rotation-wise, there is a rotation uh, at edge rusher. You lose Romelo Height. Um, you lose some guys to, to graduation like uh, Solomon Bird. And so uh, where I was questioning whether he had the ability to play right away because he was so raw, um, it is one of those positions that you're going to see guys, you know, first series of the defense, you might see Cameron Fountain, you know, within the first five games, get some playing time. There's potential there for sure. Um, and then I think, you know, on that note of rotation, um, the defensive line is, is is just going to be one of those positions where you're going to see a lot of rotation. I'm a fan. I mean, I, I think with Carlo Jones, I think between Carlo Jones Carlin. and Carlin Jones, excuse me, um, and Jedi Abasiri, Abasiri, there's potential that you, you could see one of those guys playing because, I mean, just who do they have on the interior defensive line? Now, we know Isaiah Rakes comes in. Um, they bring in a couple guys uh, through the, the porthole. Uh, Nate Clifton, Dejan Lafitte is there. And then uh, I don't know why you're repeating everything I'm repeating, but I really love it. Um, Nate Clifton is another guy they're bringing through the transfer you portal. But they have, they only have, you know, those two guys. If they bring in, you know, a, another defensive lineman, then, I, then certainly the chances of getting those guys on the field more often is, is reduced. But as of right now, I think you've got to play one of those freshman interior defensive linemen. And Carl Jones might be that guy. Um, maybe it is uh, Jedi Abizari, uh, Abasiri. Uh, that, I think that's the other guy that you potentially could see. Even, you know, though it's, 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 these are boys and they're going to be playing against men, I still think that um, Eric Henderson's going to want to make a splash and he's going to want to – get some young guys in the field and be able to show this 2025 class. I'm not afraid to throw young guys on the field. Like we're going to do it. We're going to get guys out there. And even that's even something to be said with Cameron Fountain. Like we're going to get young guys out there. We're going to play them and they're going to make a splash. They're going to make an impact for us. So I do feel like that's probably again, position is as important as the player itself. You know, there's like, there's some positions where you're like, okay, that's going to be tough. Jason Zandamella is the highest rated recruit in the class, but do you really put him out there at center? And if you put him at center, there's no rotating him. <laughs> He's the guy, you know? So it, that makes it tougher for, for some positions than others, you know, like even tight end and what have you, uh, the receiver position, you know, maybe Joey Olsen could sneak in there as a, as a big receiver and, and make some plays and kind of come out of nowhere for people. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of that, that's, that's at face value. I feel like Cameron Fountain, uh, Marcellus Williams and, and one of those interior defensive linemen, I, I would say Carlone Jones, just from my, what I've seen on film are the guys that could go in and, um, and, and play early in games early in that, you know, as you say, starting rotation, um, which is again, kind of vague, but we're just basically looking at the guys that come out making the biggest impact early on for USC from this class. We have a question from Andrew. Hi, Chris and Gerard. First off, please keep the three-hour-plus-long podcast coming. I'm training for the LA Marathon in March, so I've been listening to your shows when I'm out on my 15-mile-plus training runs. I just want to say congrats to you, Andrew, in training 
and participating in the LA Marathon. I've covered the LA Marathon a couple times. I don't know if this is your first marathon. You've covered I, the LA Marathon a couple times for what? Yeah, for who? when I was when I was yeah for USCFootball.com. Yeah, when I was a high school sports reporter, Gerard. I was a newspaper writer before I I did this. No, I know. You also lived on the West or the East Coast as a high school sports reporter. So when were you doing the L.A. Marathon? First of all, I I was like a high school sports reporter in Long Beach and Red Oh, oh you mean okay? Sorry, sorry. I, I I thought when you were in high school as a sports reporter. So you're talking about your early days out here in the West Coast when you're in Redlands and then you moved to Long Beach. Yes. And somebody yes. put you on the L.A. Marathon. Yes, you, I've covered multiple. I, I've covered multiple marathons. I covered the Baltimore Marathon, where I ran, where I would, uh, where I actually covered it as a sporting event. So I got to ride in the lead van, you know that that was ahead of the uh, the elite I runners. You, you ran in it and interviewed people as you were no, no, running no. in it. No, I would do like a fun <laughs> color piece for the LA Marathon, where I would interview people, and I would give out marathon awards for like uh interesting people that i saw there's a bunch of of interesting there's people who wearing costumes and stuff you mean you love yeah costumes. there's people there's we like, know you love there's costumes like, there was a guy dressed up as like uncle fester and he the entire la marathon dressed like that and it was like freaking hot and he has like the entire uncle fester makeup oh and God. black thing there's people that how run did it that with, end did you see you how mean? it ended yeah, I'm at the I'm at the finish line, so I'm just. Oh my god, his himself. makeup stayed on his face and everything. Yeah, it was. Wow. It, it, he was from Thousand Palms, so that he drove all yeah. the way out here. So there's a, a you know, there's people that just got married. There's people that do it barefoot. I, I interviewed a guy who did like, he's like an ultra marathoner, so he had run like this, like this was his warm up. He was probably gonna go run the course again. There's like crazy runners. I know you run. But uh, there's some real runners out there. And so shout out to Andrew for doing the L.A. Marathon. This will be another three-hour-plus uh, podcast to get you through your training. He has two speaking questions. Of running, speaking of running, uh, her Eddie has got a question for us. Yeah, too. I have it. I'm saving that okay. for the end. I have two <sighs> questions here from Andrew. I'm only going to do one so I can split up and get more questions in. But I'm going to ask the second question just because I really want to get Gerard's opinion on this and thoughts on this because I thought it was a really interesting question that he asked and fun question. I'm also standing up at this point because my legs have started cramping, so I need to stretch a little bit. Uh, Gerard, with the 2006 Oaks Christian team, Jimmy Clausen, Mark Tyler, Marshall Jones, etc., be able to compete with the recent modern-day St. John Bosco teams, that team would definitely be undersized on the lines compared to the Trinity League. But did it have a ton of skill across the? But it did have a ton of skill across the board. I grew up in the area, and it's the most talented team I ever saw play. So I was just curious about Gerard's thoughts on it. A little fun, little thought experiment, Gerard. What say you? No. Okay. Moving on. Any any further analysis? You said it could not compete on the lines at all with these crazy all-star teams that modern day and St. John Bosco have put together over the years. Yeah. You, you, even then, if you would have put Oaks Christian against uh modern day or whoever it was in the division one level, I don't know if those Oaks Christian teams would have beat those teams head to head. I can't remember who Oaks Christian played in the CIF sectional championship, but 
Yeah, it's it's almost like most situations, most situations, it's like trying to compare like high school teams against college teams. You know, every modern day could beat such and such. You know, they could go beat Texas State's ass, you know, and they played it. They're like a regular college team. They're like a FBS team. No, no. Is that a Southern accent you're doing? They're not. They're not. It was a quasi thinking of a team that was a lower level FBS team that people would say that modern day could be because modern day was so dominant at the high school level, right? Or AIMG, et cetera. You would be shocked. But as I just was talking about with grown men and playing defensive line, you, you see real quickly, especially in the days when we got to see practice and we got to see freshmen and you just see like, you know, the third string guard, just like, dominate one-on-one some five-star defensive tackle defensive and you're going wow okay i mean the difference between a 19 year old and a 26 year old or whatever it is it's just it's just different it's a man versus a kid so um with the high school levels sometimes it's like that you know you don't see a lot of even like really good teams at lower levels really be able to compete. I mean, like look at the Los Alaminos is a good example of that. Los Alaminos with Malachi Nelson, Mikhailum, they had a bunch of players on that team. They didn't have the linemen and they got destroyed by modern day. It wasn't even the game. And that's usually how that goes down with, with, with those uh, types of teams. And even, I mean, you know, like on a national level, you know, it was interesting because earlier in the year, Los Alaminos went out to American Heritage, and they played. And they played competitive, competitively for most of that game. But at the end of the game, it was like, okay, Los Alamitos has not been here before. They, they're not used to traveling across the country and playing at this level. Like, this is another level of high school football. This is rarefied rarefied air when you start traveling and going to St. Francis and going to Florida and Texas, I mean, it takes a lot of logistics. It takes a lot just from a program standpoint, let alone the kids playing and just getting on the field and playing to their level and executing. That's why when you see modern day go to Duncanville and absolutely rinse Duncanville and you know, Duncanville's got guys, they got guys that are still coming out that are four star, five star guys. And you see in modern day went out there and slapped them around like, dude, this is what it looks like when you have the ability to bring in anybody from anywhere, you know, Northern California, Southern California, San Diego, Hawaii, whatever, you know? And um, yeah, only IMG is really at that level. And and they lost to modern day even. Um, Modern day in St. John Bosco, that is the highest level of um, talent combined with the really high level coaching. That it's like it's because you get talented teams, you know, Long Beach Poly playing against De La Salle, playing against Modern Day, playing against these teams. They, they had all kinds of guys going to Division One, and they still were not able to beat Modern Day because Modern Day had the coaching and they had the talent. It's that combination of of that. And those programs have had it for years and years and years. And it's just it's just a whole nother level. Even it's like a centennial playing against other public schools. It's like, oh my God, it's just not even a game. It's crazy. It's like, how do they, how do you, it, I don't know, man. It's a system. It's philosophy. It's the coaches. It's just the the bar has been set at such a level. And for so many years, that is what they do. And that's how they do it. Um, 
Oaks Christian was really good, and, and they have a lot of talent. Bill Rodell was an excellent coach. Um, but as it was stated in the question, linemen, not there, not at that level. And, um, you know, Jimmy Clausen was a good quarterback. Um, Mark Tyler was a great running back. He got hurt that year, you know, his senior season. Um, they had uh, Marshall Jones, who was an excellent safety. They were good, but it was definitely more along the lines of Los Alamitos. Like if I was to make a correlation comparison in terms of talent-wise where they were and what kind of team they would be going against the modern day, it would be, I think, very similar to what we saw with Los Alamitos and Malachi Nelson playing against modern day in the Open Division Championship. I think I'm actually just going to give you a second question as well, Gerard. Gerard has talked a lot about Leonard Williams being an ideal three technique in terms of his height and length. When I was growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, I remember hearing a lot about how guys like John Randall and Warren Sapp were classic three techs because of the relative lack of height, which gave them better leverage against offensive linemen. Has the ideal height for the position or has the ideal body type for the position changed in your mind? Or were those guys just outliers? I think those guys were maybe a bit more outliers. I mean, Reggie White would probably trump both in terms of like all time as interior defensive linemen and three techniques. Um, and Reggie was kind of prototypical size from what I remember. I mean, I think he was like a 6'4", 290, 300-pound guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Warren Sapp was a bit smaller. He was always known as being a, a bit of a smaller, uh, more agile, mobile type of player. He played in those Miami teams with Jimmy Johnson. And Jimmy Johnson, when he left Miami, brought that philosophy to the Dallas Cowboys. And they were a bit smaller defensively. Um, Leon Lett wasn't necessarily certainly small, but their linebackers were smaller, and they wanted to play fast. They wanted to be a speedy 4-3 defense, and that existed for a while until it didn't exist. And then playing, you know, players got bigger again. Um, I think it has evolved a bit. I mean, length on the defensive front seven has become really, really important, like from the draft and everything kind of trickles down from the draft and what you see from the NFL combine, the body types and what the NFL is looking for. Arm length is just absolutely huge. And if you don't have long arms, it's always a knock on you. Now, it's not to say that you can't get by and there's not players at the college level that can be successful and not have that, that wingspan, but that is definitely – Ideally, that's what's looked at, and nine times out of ten, it's going to be taller player that has longer arms. You know, there are some guys. I mean, you can even look at the offensive side of the ball, offensive tackle. That's always a big deal having those long arms and being a tall player. But you do have guys like Chuma Doga, who had super long arms, and he was only like six three. So you know, there, he was super high cut, had super long arms, and that was enough to get it done, even though he wasn't six five, six six. Um, so that can happen on the defensive side of the ball as well. You can have a guy that's only like 6'1", 6'2", and maybe he just has super long arms. He's able to do it. Um, Mike Patterson was an inside guy, so he wasn't really so much a three technique, but he he wasn't a prototypical nose. He wasn't a, pr- a prototypical one shade at all. Uh, he had Sean Cody next to him, which was more pr- prototypical of a 6'4", 6'5", you know, 285, 290. He ended up being probably around 300 pounds by the time he graduated USC as a three technique. And then Leonard Williams was like totally, yeah, prototypical. For that 4-3 type of defense, 4-3 under, um, 
really one gap just attack uh, from a defensive line standpoint. Your defensive line is getting penetration and really the 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 tip of the spear, if you will. Um, yeah, uh, I mean Leonard Williams was a as a defensive end in high school. Uh, if I recall, playing at Mainland, and you know you watch this film, it was all edge. He was like a five technique type guy. He was sometimes maybe a seven, but he was always on the ground, had his hand on the ground. He was an edge rusher. And he was so violent at the point of attack. I mean, when he tackled guys, they went down so quickly in a blink of an eye. So you saw that suddenness with him, but you're going to put weight on him. He was like 255 coming out of high school, maybe 260. And they just packed that weight. And I think freshman year was like 275, 280. And he just kept getting bigger and bigger because he had the frame. You know, he had the long arms. And that's something else when you start talking about length. It's that ability to put on more weight, put on more weight, and not lose your athleticism. Um, but length is always a big deal. Arm length is the big deal because you want to disengage blocks. You want to keep your blocker um, at a distance. You don't want to get sucked in to their bodies and get wrapped up. You know, those offensive linemen, they can wrap you up. And it doesn't look like they're holding, but they can kind of hug you and kind of uh, uh, encompass you as a rusher. Um, so you got to get away from them and be able to get your hand, other hand out to, to try to make your first wrap on the on the you don't want to make the arm tackle just by throwing your arm out there but you got to get your arm out there then disengage and get your other arm to be able to make a tackle in the gap so yeah that's um sort of where football has gone in in the freaks of nature or the guys that you know are that six five and, and they've got those long arms and they can be 285 290 that's like oh man you know three technique and and players these days have gotten more athletic with more size and you know, some of those guys can play even out in the edge at 270, and you're not that far away, you know, from 285 to 270. But if you're just a freak of nature, you're a freak of nature. But nine times out of ten, it's, yeah, the height is kind of where you see it, you know. That's where it comes through the most just because that automatically – you don't see many tall guys with short arms. It's usually not a thing with athletes uh, that are already, you know, at that high level. All right, Gerard, let's get to the voicemail. We all know who it is. There's no no sense of drawing out the drama. Let's do it. Hey, this is from the Cilantro Boys. Uh, is Eddie from Orange. Taking a walk out in the nice weather today. Um, for a run earlier, and not from the cops. So just so you know. That's um, a police dog oh, in the back. Yeah, Yeah. A question for you. Uh, Gerald, you have mentioned in the garage several times that uh, there's a five families of NIL. And it looks like we have a new, like, uh, big player that came out of nowhere in Ohio State. So would you consider Ohio State kind of like the lucky Luciano of the five families, the dude who just comes in, kills everybody, takes over? And just shows everybody how to run things because it seems like they got what the five families were doing and just took it up a notch and decided to just, you know, put all the chips in the middle for this year. Thoughts? Oh, and then what does that make USC? Is USC like a uh, a small two-bit game in, like, Brooklyn? Are they like a, a Soprano family? Like a glorified crew out of New Jersey? Where's, what's USC? compared to the five families. All right. Talk later. Any from Orange. Gerard, are they a crew out of New Jersey? I hope that police dog doesn't do too much damage to you, Eddie. You will be tased. 
<laughs> Let me see your hands. Um, we're really going all in on the La Costa Nostra. Uh, I love it. I love war it. here. Wouldn't have it any other way. Wouldn't have it any other way. We're really going in hard on trying to make the correlations with the mafiosa. Um, I don't know about the Lucky Luciano uh, comparison. I, I would say what we know of Ohio State and their recent push, which Connor actually had an entry, I believe, in the war room talking a little bit about it. And it's a controversial point. But nevertheless, they have hired and brought in some people that have some professional sports experience with negotiations. And so, you know, that comparison and certainly Oregon is an outlier in that respect. I mean, we've talked about this in the past. You could talk about money all you want, but they also have individuals that for a living at Nike deal with brand deals all of the time. So they, they know about contracts and how these contracts are are situated and written up. I mean, it, it's it's a business, it's a high level business uh, sort of aspect to dealing with top players. And I mean, with Ohio State, it really came through more transfers. It came through with Will Howard, and then they get Julian Sand, and you know that that was like some high level NIL deals that had to be negotiated. To make those things work. And so, you know, at the at the high school level, they've recruited well for a while, but they did lose uh, Tacky Curtis to, to USC. They lost uh, Carlon Jones to USC. You know, a lot of people were writing off Carlon Jones on his official visit to Ohio State. People in Texas were telling me he's going to commit to Ohio State. He's going to Ohio State. USC is able to get him away from Ohio State. Now, were there other guys that, you know, U.S. or Ohio State might be able to supplement and maybe they felt like they were reaching too much for Carl Jones? I don't know. I don't really know the background on their recruitment with Carl Jones. I just know that a lot of people thought when he was visiting officially Ohio State, you usually don't bring in players that you don't want or that you're not sure about for official visits. It happens occasionally where there's like, well, there's our backup plan. We're going to bring him in. But nine times out of ten, at that point in the year, you're bringing in a guy that you want. And so him getting out of that official visit without committing and then going to USC and turning around and committing and signing with USC was a big win for USC. But in other situations, Ohio State has definitely been able to show that they're doing really well with NIL. Um, It's still within the, the parameters from everything that I've heard of the sort of more professional approach to it and not just like we're going to throw money at the problem so much. Um, But that might be inaccurate. I mean, it might be, listen, Harbaugh's gone. Michigan has beaten us how many years in a row now? Uh, This is our opportunity with the new Big Ten. We need to make the most of this while we can. Um, Certainly USC believes in the professional uh, auxiliary model of having a collective that has a sort of mm, quasi association with the school running 
NIL, you know, as opposed to the, hey, let the boosters go run wild and do what they do, like Texas A&M and some of these other schools. Um, but that wouldn't be terribly different than how you would maybe uh, describe what Oregon is doing with Division Street. The thing is, you know, the, the, the Division Street, the association with Oregon is all through Nike. So it's professional people. And that's a very high level run uh, situation. It's not just like some boosters. It's a booster. <laughs> that's a unique situation. That's just a weird situation with, you know, Phil Knight. And that is throwing money at the problem. That is hey, listen, we need to win a national championship sooner than later. Let's give them whatever they want sort of thing and overpaying and throwing the market off a little bit from what I understand of just offering money to players. It's just too much. Just like nobody's, nobody's doing what they're doing um, because they can do it. And again, they can do it with, with the gamble that even if they miss out and they pay players too much money and guys that they shouldn't have been paying got money, if they just strike on a couple of those players and they're able to make deals on the back end when they become professionals, then you could slap some Nikes on them and make money off of them. And you're making your money back at that point, plus probably interest. So that's a very strange, weird situation. They're almost like not really five families even themselves. I mean, they're like the corrupt cop that came up and hit Michael Corleone and broke his jaw. I mean, they're like in a totally different situation. Not, not to you know, suggest that they're corrupt or anything, but it's like, that's like a whole, if we're trying to, you know, stay in the Godfather, five families type of things, you know, they're, they're, they're like on an outsider sort of in They're They're the Turk or something coming from the outside with this whole the other, Turk. yeah, this whole other uh, backing of money. Um, that's like a, a different situation where it's a, it's a win-win for them. Um, but with Ohio state, yeah, I, I don't know if that's just like this new thing where they can be aggressive in there. It seems like it's just the professionals that they've brought in that have the, the, the experience with negotiations is the big difference in their approach now more than it is like they've got some rogue boosters that are just throwing money and making weird deals with kids by putting cash in McDonald's uh, bags and things like that. Like that's sort of the, the aura of the five families is the, you know, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove and you can't prove anything. And, Oh, well we got caught, but, doesn't matter. Our state is going to sue you. <laughs> sort of bullshit that's going on right now with NIL and such schools like Tennessee, where it's like, you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. And it's like, so it's not against state law. And our state is going to sue you because you haven't made the rules clear enough for us. And that's where we're at with that. So I don't know what's going to happen here in the future with the NCAA and whether the NCAA is just going to, they're going to go and say, well, this is what the rules are again. And they're just going to state the exact same thing they stated two years ago when NIL was first becoming a thing. And there's no real, you know, reinforcement of those rules through actual punishment. Because again, it's not really a rule if you can't enforce the rule. So I, I just don't know what, what's going to happen with that aspect. But, you know, for whatever reason, USC's kind of putting their chips on that which I, a little bit of an eye roll, uh, having seen what the NCAA has done with USC and what the NCAA has done, period, in the past few years. I, I think putting stock and hope in the NCAA, making things better is just uh, – clearly there's a lot of programs that are not going that way. They don't believe in the NCAA. They believe in federal and state laws 
more than the NCAA, and that's what they're putting their faith in, and that's what they're building their NIL collectives around. So we'll see. You know, does it change for USC? Do they see that the NCAA is full of hot air uh, after they meet this spring and they say what they're ever they're going to say and do whatever they're going to do uh, to try to build some uh, sensible regulation around it, uh, NIL? And you know, USC either they see that that's they still want to invest and say, okay, we're going to go with what the NCAA is saying and and you know do what maybe they've been doing from an approach standpoint. Their philosophy would be the same, or do they look at it and go, okay, this is all the same stuff that has been said before. There's not really a lot new here, and we're looking around and we are now in the very, very small minority of schools that are are adhering to what the NCAA is saying. We need to adhere to something else at this point. Like we just, we have to, or we're not going to be competitive. And, you know, now that changes the game and, and we think, okay, so, you know, they're going to be involved with, with going after uh, high school players with NIL deals and NIL opportunities. And at this point, again, from what I've been told, it's all strategy. It's not compliance. It's not like there's not this thing that's holding them back other than it's more of what they want to do. So at the same time, when we start talking about the NCAA, I mean, from what I've been told by people that are on the other side of the fence that are actually involved with these kids at the high school level and navigating NIL deals, they're kind of giving me the impression like this is Lincoln Riley's idea and philosophy and how he wants to approach things. Compliance isn't necessarily what's steering it or driving that strategy and approach. It's the sort of, do we want to have our boosters and our donations going towards high school players or more proven commodities and transfers? And more importantly than anything, retaining our roster, getting good players and keeping those players and not allowing them to be pilfered by other programs uh, because we're, we're paying our players well enough. Um, that, that has been, you know, by multiple sources told to me is more of what's going on. And, and I want to make clear, and, and I think I do, but maybe I need to emphasize it more. When we start talking about approach and strategy, it, it, it isn't on the collectives. This is not a um, house of victory issue. This is not a conquest collective issue. This is not the Trojan, the Tommy group issues. This is not their strategy. This is not their approach. This is not a criticism of USC's collectives, yada, yada, yada. It's not on them. From what I've been told, it is a Lincoln Riley and the administration, the athletic department coming together and saying, this is how we want to do things. And again, there is that, well, okay, is it because it's within the confines of what you interpret as being compliant? Or is it just, this is how we want to spend our money. This is the smart way to spend our money. We don't want to just throw it after these high school kids and there's going to be buzz. And then, you know, do we give maybe, and this is more conjecture, speculation on my own part, trying to figure out why would you be motivated to take this approach? Maybe you give your boosters too much power 
And then they, because they're the ones basically supplying your whole roster. And then you get into a situation where Happy is calling you because there's this kid that's homesick and Happy's, and you're saying, you know, Happy, we got to do something. Is the kid's mom going to lose her job if he transfers? And Happy tells the head coach, do your effing job. Tell him he better start scoring more points. Now, you don't understand that reference, Chris, because you watch movies that no, I got have it. nothing to do. I got it. You're referring to Happy Gilmore. See, that's that exactly what I'm talking about. If you would watch Blue Chips, one of the most formative recruiting movies of all time, you would know who Happy is. That's next on my list. Yeah. Well, anyways, and for those that are like Chris and they're millennials and they're not watching these type of movies, and even those that are not millennials and have not watched Blue Chips, Happy is one of the main boosters for the school that Nick Nolte, the head coach, is coaching for. And at some point in time, Nick Nolte decides I got to be competitive and I got to work with my boosters to get players. And so they go out and they get Penny Hardaway, they get Shaq, they get these guys and they're all given bags. And at some point during the year, Penny Hardaway comes in. He goes, Coach, I just I'm not feeling this one three offense. I'm not I'm not feeling it. I, you know, I'm just I'm really I feel like I want to go back home, but I gotta ask you, will my mom lose her job if I leave? And her his mom gets a new house. His mom gets a a new job, which she's like the general manager of some place, even though she's not qualified for it. And this is all done by uh, the boosters of the school and happy is the head booster. And this is a conversation that happens. And this is something that because NIL now is legal, you do have the the situation where boosters could dictate, you know, listen, this is, we are stocking your, you know, the, we are directly involved in the payment of these players and it's legal, right? So it's legal now, but you know, it's the, the legality of pay for play and NIL opportunities that's that gray line. And that's the gray line that everybody's fighting over right now, trying to figure out what's what. What is inducement and what is a, an actual opportunity in NIL to use your name, image, and likeness to gain money through legitimate means? And so it reminds me of blue chips in that conversation. And maybe there's a, just a point where like Riley's just like, I don't want to necessarily hand the keys over to have, you know, the boosters run this. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't really totally understand what USC's approach has been, but again, it's not on the collectives. They're not like deciding, Hey, this is how we're going to do things. It, it's, it's from everything. And from, from both sides of the fence, Outside USC, inside USC, the conversation has been, this is how Lincoln Riley wants to do things. This is how the administration and the athletic department wants to do things. So is it really the NCAA? Uh, Is it really compliance? Is it really, well, we're going to do things like the way the NCAA, we think the NCAA is going to formulate these rules, they're going to introduce more regulations, they're going to introduce more bylaws and it's going to come closer to what we're doing and have been doing. So we'll be in a good position in the future, 
or is it all just talking? It just kind of is the same that they've been doing. They, they'll literally kind of repeat the same statements that they've made. And it's like, at that point, you got to look at each other and go, okay, that's not changing. The NCAA is not evolving here. And so we've got to turn in turn do something maybe different. And we got to look at these other schools that are getting all these top recruits and figure out, okay, that's what we got to do. And whatever this the, the model is, we've got to set it loose. And yeah, the boosters are got to be involved and they've got to lead the way in some extent in terms of, you know, who, who's going to get paid, how much can get paid, is the money really there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's, it's a very complicated situation. And as I said, from the standpoint of talking to recruits and families about it, it's still looked at as sort of taboo. So you're not going to get into the details of, yeah, so how much did this school really offer you? A lot of that stuff you hear is from representation. And again, there's some, um, it's in, in some situations, I think there's motivation to just kind of blow numbers up, to kind of blow numbers up, you know, and, and some schools, again, like Oregon, maybe they'll throw more money out there than they need to throw because they can. And like I said, there's a gamble that if the kid turns out to be a dude and, and you know, you on the back end can make money, that's all good for Nike. I mean, Phil Knight's making money both ways, right? <laughs> he's getting he's getting uh, potential wins for Oregon, which he's a fan and he's an alum, so that's big for him. Uh, and then on the back end, you know, the, one couple of those guys end up being good players for him and uh, old pros, and you can slap Nikes on them. It's like, hey, we're going to make money off this endorsement deal. Um, that's why that's a unique and different situation and probably to some extent a conflict of interest, I think, when you start talking about NIL. But, I mean, you know, it, it, if you got it, you use it. If USC had that type of booster and that type of relationship with Under Armour or Nike or what have you, I mean, the Trojan fans would be, oh, hey, too bad. Too bad. That's, you know, should have had uh, Phil Knight to graduate. Too bad, so sad. Too bad, so sad. So, you know, it's one of those things you you have to look at it and objectively and take your, take your Trojan hat off and say, hey, listen, um, it's, it's, it's just something that, uh, you know, or if Oregon didn't have Phil Knight, you know, would they be any different than Oregon State? Probably not. It'd probably be about what you see in Beaverton, or excuse me, um, Corvallis. I was thinking Beavers. That, that's the thing. Corvallis, you'd think Oregon State would be in Beaverton and they'd be the Beavers. Ironically, Nike World HQ is in Beaverton. <laughs> Beavers come and get Maybe you can find that as funny as I did, Chris. But it's the end of the podcast. Chris is sleepy. He's ready to go home. So let's uh, not, grant that not, wish. Because I need to stay for another hour and a half and edit. So we know how to come back in a big way. This is a nearly four-hour podcast. Not going to reach that mark. But we did our best. We did our best, Gerard. Thank you. For listening to another edition of the composite two-star recruits i don't have a big fancy outro i just have the outro i always have we are back welcome back gerard welcome back to myself welcome back to the listeners are we starting over again oh man it feels yes, like the starting in the opening start, oh my god time it's is a i need to get out of here we are chris we are gerard <laughs> we are composite two-star recruits we will catch you next time Get leopard sucks! <laughs> <laughs>